super busy i moved from my old spot to a new spot a little more spacious got some fast internet hence the streaming now um finally using this fucking dope ass gift that everybody got me to its full potential with streaming with the uh with the dope graphics card that that's in there and you know we're gonna see what it could do we're, but we're pushing the max right now we're pushing the max pushing the limit you know, my apologies for, you know, not coming on for a long, but I love having Eric on, man. It's really dope when you guys get together and, and talk about what you guys talk about because you guys are, you know, one in the same in some in some aspects. I, I think that's pretty cool. What does that even mean? Like you guys have similar opinions sometimes about things, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, we just go back and forth on things. So, yeah. you know, we just go there. But it's chemistry, you know? It's yeah, like definitely. My, it's chemistry with me. But that's what it's all about chemistry i think it would be really dope now that we're getting kind of the hang of doing it on discord now we could maybe do a third person on discord yeah if they're down to do it you know so hopefully that will be in the mix pretty soon and uh we'll get something going for that but you know without further ado enough jibber jabber of the introduction you know today's episode is on what surge stop motion well Scary stop motion movies. That's right. So we're talking about like not particularly it wouldn't be scary, but it goes into the horror realm. But it's involves like uh scary creatures that are in stop motion, like Mad Monster Party or Nightmare Before Christmas or Coraline. Which she has in the background. Yeah. A big old fucking hint. Look at that. Yeah, and then also, uh, you know, some honorable mentions we'll be talking about later. But yeah. uh, we want to really just hone it down and talk about some of the very first pictures that were really promoting the Halloween culture, the monster culture, um, kind of bringing it into its own world and really bringing it to life with stop motion animation or what they used to call it back in the 60s, animagic. 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 Yes. Yes, Cerritos. So, I mean, we got something going on. We got a couple movies to talk about here, so it's going to be a multi-feature kind of deal. So we're going to be covering a lot of different movies. We're going to do them in chronological order, so you know kind of what we're talking about. Um, yep. And before we do anything, I think we got to talk about what we talk about best here on Golden Craftcast, besides entertainment, is the bees. Bees. The bees. What we bees. say, cheese. Yep. So, what do we got? What are you reporting? Because I'm reporting this, and what is that? Oh, okay. I was looking at that one. I yeah. saw a. I saw one of those at. Um, I don't think we had these. Wine. Yeah, I, saw I one just... of those at Total Wine, and it was the last pack. And I saw so many packs. I was just like, ah, oh, whatever. I'll get yeah. a pack. Yeah, when you see it so much in Total Wine, you just like, oh, it's skim it's over always, it. 
Yeah, it's going to be stuck in stock forever. But yeah, and it's not. there was literally nothing left when I went. There was only yeah. one pack, and the pack was opened. So yeah, I just, like, I just got a single. Oh, no. I got two uh, of the single ones. Okay. I didn't get a pack, but I mean, I'm just trying to save some money here. Cause, uh, I got another beer coming up. but How much was that beer over there in San Francisco? This? Yeah. Uh, like I would rough have to... estimate. Rough estimate. Honestly, I think this is the most, ex- the most highest that I got out of my uh, my inventory. I think oh, there's shit. like, yeah. If you want cheap beer, or if you well, want, I mean, how much was it? Like five bucks, eight bucks. Yeah, I just said like three. Oh, three bucks? Oh, that's not bad. I think it's Quite like three. Little... Yeah. I if got... anything, yeah. Let me just say this. If anything. Uh, it costs a lot to uh, be up here, especially if you go to your liquor stores. Don't go to your liquor stores. Always go to Total Wine. It's much cheaper on your buck. So, yeah. <laughs> and you live pretty close oh, by, that's... don't you? Yeah, pretty much. That's perfect. Like, yeah, because I went to the liquor store like uh, a few weeks. It was the first few weeks that I was here. I went to the liquor store and I bought like a tall boy of like 805 That shit cost me 450 450 Like. Yeah, I was like, nah, <laughs> never again. Damn, that's like a one of those 32s of Modelo is like five bucks. It's about that much. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Like, that's that's I, crazy. There's a lot to, yeah. Like, I never remember paying that much when I was at home. I was like. Yeah, well, that's inflation, baby. Seven. That's inflation. I got this pack. It roughed out around, I think, 13 bucks, 12 bucks, something like that. Yeah. But it is a... It's from Black Plague Brewing, Oceanside, California. It's called Bring Out Your Dead. Bring Out Your Dead. Bring Out Your Dead. Yeah, I was thinking of Black Plague. Oh, actually, funny thing. Yesterday, I went, uh, I had a gig in Stanford, and they were having like a whole Halloween type of party. Uh huh. And they had a, um, it was welcome to it was welcome to like uh family members and like you know people that go to school there and they had a vi- they had a contest a costume contest and there was a little kid that literally dressed like a fucking plague doctor that's hilarious yeah and we were just like dude that's that's the most fucking awesome costume we ever seen <laughs> yeah but that little kid was like i wanted to be a race car i wanted to be lightning mcqueen and he's like yeah. no you're going to win us this contest <laughs> Yeah, they look cool. Yeah, his yeah his dads were like, I think it was one of his dads' ideas for that shit. So Definitely, I was like, bro. He doesn't have no fucking clue what that shit is. Yeah, he's, he's like, just like, I'm a bird. <laughs> <laughs> you know? He's just like, just play along with me. I was like, all right. All right, dad. You're probably uh, going to get uh, me that candy, aren't you? Yeah. I also saw Baby Yoda, too. Of course. They're going to yeah. do that shit. I know. Oh, man. So, all right. So, let's take a sip of this, and then we'll jump straight into it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Let's give it a crack, baby. Ooh, I heard you. Could, I hope you heard that live. It is a beautiful sound. It was a... Tss. Not live. It was like... Mine was a... Tss. That's the play coming out. Ooh, IPA. Wow, that's really good when it's cold. 
it's almost creamy. It almost has like a creamy kind of taste for an IPA. Yeah. Interesting. Zuri took a sip. Yeah. Hell? Cheers to the oh. craft, buddy. I had a clean um, sound effect. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. It's pretty low. Yeah. Cheers. You got it. You finally got the clink, huh? It's a little low. Uh, oh. Mm, 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 mm. Mm. Does it taste Chris. like pumpkin spice? Yep. <laughs> I'm like talking. I was like, but yeah, like, mm. and then it just like hit me. This is like Christmas. Actually, fucking tastes like Christmas. It tastes like spice. Christmas. More Christmas than Halloween, huh? Maybe. I don't know. It's like even now. It's like um, a nightmare before Christmas. It's oh, a little. Míralo, míralo, making references. There we go. There we go. Let's do this. All right, sweet, man. So first on the roster, we got a movie that's near and dear to my heart. Um, a movie that I grew up with since I was a little kid and not a lot of people knew it. Um, whenever I would mention it to people, they'd be like, what the hell are you talking about? And I'd be like, you don't know that movie? You don't know that movie? But it's like literally one of the coolest fucking stop motion animation movies early in the 60s made from the same people that did um, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Um, And basically these two guys were in charge of not only coming up with um, some of the some of the music and some of the lyrics and stuff for the music, but they worked on all the animations, the storyboards and all this. And it fucking ended up being a really cool movie. The movie that I'm talking about is Mad Monster Party. Yeah. yeah. I just barely heard about this movie like not too long ago. You told me about it. Can you give us yeah. some background of the creators? I mean, I don't have that information on me right now. Yeah, the creators... Well, all I know is from the same makers as the, uh, all your favorite Christmas movies. Yep. <laughs> Got it. Yeah, I'm looking at it's so it's so like it's literally it's like a it's like a pen and teller. It's like a name that's like it's two of them go together. It's Harvey Kurtzman, <laughs> Mad Magazine creator Harvey Kurtzman did the character design for it. And then um, Jack Davis designed many of the characters. And then um, there was a script by the screenplay was by Len Corobin and Harvey Kurtzman. Produced by Arthur Rankin. Rankin and Bass. There you go. Rankin and Bass. Bass, yeah. Rankin and Bass Productions. And they're the guys, the same guys that did Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, all that stuff. I literally watched a... uh, little documentary about two weeks ago on mad monster party yeah and it like was huh was it like 10 minutes long or it some was like shit? it was like a two-parter or something like that but okay. i was gonna go ahead no sorry i just i i just mentioned that i saw it when i was watching the movie because i watched it on youtube yeah and i was thinking of watching it but I should have watched it. It's pretty cool. There's like this redheaded nerd that's like all about it, all about Rankin Bass. And he made yeah. like a whole, like a book that's basically Rankin Bass Productions. And he accumulated a bunch of archived files from the yeah. movie, from uh, the first development stages 
up to pictures of the final production. Um, and it, I like they have a website to this day, bro. It's crazy because the the base, it's crazy. This is what's really crazy. The base of where it's at, like where it was located, was actually originally not too far from where I live now. Like literally, like down the block. Oh, really? Yeah, it's it, it's in the city that I'm in now. It's not too far, but basically, like, um, it's not there anymore. I looked it up. It's not. It's like a Chick Fil A now. So, but, but back in the day, it was like an actual studio, and like this was like the base for all of the stuff that they had going on for it. But I, I went onto the website and I tried to buy like a T-shirt, and everything was out, everything was sold out, but the website was still live. So yeah. I was like, "What the heck? Like that's kind of weird." And then the I looked up the address, and the address was a Chick Fil A. So I'm like, "What the hell is going on here? Like, <laughs> what are they doing? You know?" Should... But yeah. But you want to talk about the movie a little bit? Yeah, so I guess the premise of the movie is uh, Dr. Frankenstein, uh, he's about to give up the cape and pretty much like um, give up his, pretty much like pass over like his reins. So he invites all his uh, friends, which are Dracula, were uh, the werewolf, uh, the mummy, uh, Jekyll and Hyde, uh, the creature... Man. The creature from the Blue Lagoon, Black and you, know, all those, yeah, all those motherfuckers, and King Kong. basically, like, basically, like we'll talk about that one. That was that came out of nowhere. Um, yeah, basically, all those motherfuckers, and he invites them to this party, in which he was going to announce that, but also he was going to announce that he's going to give his reins over to not a scary monster, but just an ordinary. How would I say it? His nephew. His nephew. <laughs> An ordinary guy or kid. Or guy. No, he's, he has some quirks in him. He uses a... He's a... How would I describe him? He's sort of a dweeb, I would say. <laughs> he's a nerd. He's a big pharmacy nerd. He's a big old pharmacy. He works in a nerd, but he's also a klutz, too. So yeah. that kind of puts the switch on I, Yeah, I was thinking about that word. Yeah, he's a he's not what you expect. And basically um mayhem ensues as soon as they discover that Dr. Frankenstein's gonna give the reins to an ordinary dude. And a lot of crazy things happen while they're at this island where they were gonna meet where they're meeting at. And um yeah, a bunch of things will happen, but we'll talk about that. Because it's uh we're trying to we're trying to get into it, you know? We'll spoil it when we come to it. One cool thing about this that a lot of people don't know is Boris Karloff actually does the voice for Dr. Yeah. Frankenstein. Yeah. Those of you that are monster fans, you know, like, that dude is the original Frankenstein. So, mm -hmm. I mean, he really brings that whole ominous kind of vibe to the character. And, I mean, it's freaking awesome. Like... The voices in it, uh, most of them are done by Alan Swift, and he basically took a, a lot of uh, characters from like the 19, I want to say like really early movies, like 50s, and maybe even like 30s, and what? he took these actors' voices, Alan Swift, he took these actors' voices and then like made them into characters 
in the uh, movie. So he did a lot of the voices for Dracula, like the nephew. Um, you know, he did them for like uh, the Invisible Man. It's just different. There's like a plethora of characters that he ended up doing the voice for. So that's how they actually saved a lot of money on this. But so guy doing the creatures that's crazy yeah so um one of the interesting things about this is Rankin bass like they actually were biters dude because they saw this form of animation in um japan called animagic right stop yeah. motion animation they basically saw how it was all made came from america and were like hey we need you guys to help us do this movie so what they did was they Went to the United States. They like drew up all the storyboards, made the whole story for it, and basically sent this movie over to be made in Japan. So like a lot of the stuff in, that's made, a lot of the sets, basically all the models and sets and stuff were done by Japanese people. It wasn't in the so like that's why like I feel some of the um, small little details in the faces and some of the things that are like a little bit off, a little bit off timing because. Uh, I feel like maybe Japanese people weren't used to the um, what? What do you? What you call it? Like the, like the, what? What? What's the word I'm looking for? Like the small gestures and stuff that Americans might make, you know. But they oh. were pretty on point. Yeah, yeah. They would, yeah, they wouldn't get like the same things that are American. Uh... I know what you're talking about. Yeah, they wouldn't like some of the some of the jokes that Americans do. It wouldn't translate well into Japan. Yeah, you know, so they can't. I feel like uh, some a little bit of the co- comedic timing was a little weird, but dude, it's regardless. Yeah. Like it's fucking great. Like the humor in it is actually pretty sophisticated compared to other movies, right? Yeah, it's not just fart yeah. jokes. It's no fart jokes. It's all like top quality puns and stuff like that yeah i felt like it was like hannah barbera style yeah comedy but a little well yeah uh, hannah barbera actually does do like innuendos and little jokes here and there and you know (laughs) things they could get away with but yeah i definitely got like that vibe too um and i would say like uh, i'll probably talk about this uh further in the episode but um, st- the thing about stop motion is that they're pretty much like timeless, you know, like you can't really tell like what year it came out. If you were to look at them with this one, you, the only reason you could tell is because of it kind of dates it because of the music that they play. It's yeah. like very like sixties type of thing. And then, you know, some of the style of it, it's just like, Oh, that looks like it came from the sixties, you know? Yeah, the the music and lyrics were by Mari Laws and Jules Bass. So yeah, so Bass did actually do some of the music and stuff like that. Nice. So, um, but if you listen to the music, it sounds really dope because it's like almost like James Bondy kind of. Yeah, really that's why James Bond esque and sixties James Bond. It's just like it. You, you could tell. I mean, yeah. the that song that they play in the beginning, the main song, I love that song. Like, that's my favorite Halloween song because it's like, it's spooky. It sounds spooky, but it still sounds like cool James Bondy. And then you have the soul of a black woman singing on there, which is yeah. Ethel Ennis. And 
they've remade this that song multiple times on like different albums and stuff but yeah. it does not sound the same as the original like the original definitely sounds the best I, i've wanted to try to find this actual album for it but it doesn't exist that's how rare this shit is like oh, it really? does not exist like they have a cd for it now but back in the day they don't have an actual record like a pressed record with this song on it and that kind of makes me sad because i think it would sound so much better on vinyl but that's just yeah me. You know, because you know, it wasn't that popular, so they didn't see any like records on like oh they like the music. You know, if they like the music, they will make a whole album out of it and just you know release it like that. And and that's what's crazy is because when they first came out with this, they thought oh like these Animagic movies they look really cool. Like let's try to produce one of these. Obviously they did the Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer, but they said hey let's do a Halloween one. Because in the 60s, this was made in 1967. So in the 60s, like, the monster craze was really going out and about. So everybody was all about Dracula and, you know, Frankenstein. Yeah. And all these different, like, monster characters. Think about the mon- uh, the monsters. Yeah. Think about Abbott and Costello and stuff like that. These were all movies that were made kind of surrounding all these different universal right. monsters. And this was a way that they could kind of tie them all together. Which is really dope. And I believe, I really think Adam Sandler kind of took that, the idea of Mad Monster Party and turned that into Hotel Transylvania. Yeah, I get the thought process on that. You know what I'm saying? Because it's very, like, you kind of see them all travel there. You know, they all get there in their different modes of transportation. You kind of see that in Mad Monster Party. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just drawing conclusions here, maybe. But my conclusion. Uh, I really think that this movie, to people that really do appreciate stop motion animation and like stuff like that, it does stand out because there wasn't that many monster movies. Or, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of monster movies that are made with stop motion animation before them, but there wasn't a lot of like kid friendly stop motion animation movies, you know, that were like fun for the whole family kind of deal, you know? Yeah. Pretty much. I mean, did this came out after or before um, uh, Rudolph? This came out after, I believe. It was after? Yeah. Okay. I, for some reason, I thought it was going to be before. Because I don't know why I thought about that. Because I've seen some of the animation, and it feels like a little rough. And I sort of like Rudolph was actually a little bit more um, fluid and just very well put together. But I don't know. Um, yeah, uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer was 1964. Okay, for sure. So, yeah, so this was 1967. Three years later, they had their chops. They had the money to fly over to Japan and, you know, kind of do the thing. Yeah. So, I mean, but you can see in the behind the scenes him working alongside Japanese people that are just like making all the little, sewing all the little jackets, making all the little chairs, making all these little like intricate things and i'm just like damn bro like they put a lot of thought and preparation to all these scenes you know um unfortunately a lot of the original monsters and stuff that they created because they used they were limited on the supplies that they had back then and a lot of it would deteriorate in like different temperatures and stuff like that so none of them now are really intact but i think some of the um some of the set pieces are, I think, from back in the day. 
but a lot of the original artwork that was made from the dude that did Mad Magazine still exists. And, like, it's in the book and stuff like that. Like, his his drawings of uh, the different monsters and his concept art for Mad Monster Party. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty tight. Um, yeah. What else should we talk about? Top twos? I mean, we should... We should talk about why you like this movie specifically. Okay. Well, I mean, aside from it being more, like, something that was passed down in my family i i really drew attraction to it because of the music i really like the music and the kind of the direction that they went with the james bondy feel really vintage really dope um lyrics in the songs are really cool i mean there's some that are like really catchy like show tunes almost but um uh, that main one I, i'm still i still love you know and then um just the fact that it was kind of on the adult side, not as kid-friendly as Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, you know? Yeah. And there was a lot of, like you said, like Hanna-Barbera, like comedic kind of plot twists and stuff here and there. And, you know, things were going on and there's sexual innuendos. And it's just like, it's a lot different than Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, for sure. Yeah. You know, so that's why I think and I mean, just the way it looks, it's, it looks so vintage. It looks so cool. Like, you know, you, you can see all these monsters and see the shapes of everything and the shadows from going from everywhere and just kind of like the time that they put to, to make it. I, I really appreciate, you know, like back in this time, they were able to like superimpose, they went, they composited two different images of film and stop motion animation to do like the glowing vial scene, for example, you know, yeah. like uh, composited a giant explosion, you know. Um, I mean, the the way the water looks even is really trippy, you know. Uh, I know if you watch this on like shrooms or something, you'd be like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. But I mean, all in all, dude, it, I, I really like the stop motion animation look of it. And it's one of the first of its kind, like kind of leading the way for stop motion animation monster movies. Yeah, definitely. It's um this is my first time watching it. Uh like I said. Uh I thought it was like I definitely liked it because I think I I think as an adult I do enjoy it because you know, uh again the jokes like pretty much hit and it's like you understand who everyone is and you understand the traits of like Frankenstein, the mummy and all that. And they kind of play trope not trope, but more of like a joke on their uh, on their traits, you know. Like uh, you have Dracula, you know, who's gonna suck, but he gets a little too cocky, and then you know, every time he tries to like bite the guy, he just like he just fails and it fails, and it's just like sort of like a slapstick comedy type yeah. of deal, you know. And and just like the cheesy lines that they do, you know, because like. They again, they are playing with these characters, you know. They're playing with like what they get away with. Like, I think one of my favorite uh, bits was he, um, God, what was the nephew's name? I keep, uh, I keep forgetting, but uh, basically, the nephew was with like uh, Dr. Jekyll, yeah, and he he basically just like 
uh, turns himself into Hyde. They were, they were chatting about something, and then he turns into Hyde, and then he just turns into, you know, this Hyde monster, and all he can say is Hyde, 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 Hyde. And then you have the guy saying, like, oh, Hyde, oh, it seems like you're back to normal, so it kind of seems like you want to play Hide and Seek. Hide, Hyde. <laughs> yeah. It's stupid little shit like that, but it's... It, that's his charm right there, you know? It's it's the quirkiness that really sold it to me. And, you know, you could appreciate that type of humor nowadays, you know? Because they don't make uh, movies like this anymore, I would say. And I definitely like seeing, like, all the classic horror movies, uh, monsters, because, I mean, everyone grew up with it. Or at least people that really like movies grew up with it. And you get to see like this super cheesy, very like sitcom type of style version of these monsters all coming together. You know, uh, this is a time before. <laughs> Bless you, son. Thank you, sir. This is a time before, you know, uh, there was any like cinematic universes or any like Marvel property or any like, fuck, dare I say it, the dark universe that they try to do in Universal. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean. This and, this was kind of the the kid version, right? Yeah, this is it. Just smashes everyone together, and they don't particularly like fight other villains in that sense or come together for a noble cause. It's just you know they're all kind of out for for themselves. Yeah, it's a funny occasion coming all together. You know, uh, I will say like I really enjoyed the story because the story was like pretty interesting the way they were structured because you have this whole half where he's bringing in. You know, all his friends, all all these guys are villains, right? But the true villain of the movie is, you know, Francesca, the the lady that's trying to like get the um the reins from Doctor Frankenstein, you know, because she's like the assistant. And you know, this the first, yeah, that big part is just like ha- of her having to turn on them, and then eventually the villains turn on her. And then you have this whole second half where, like, basically it's uh, the nephew and her having to escape the monsters. And then that's when you really see them as villains. Yeah. As well as, like, having to bring, you know, uh, other monsters like King Kong, who came out of nowhere. (laughs) I mean, they kind of teased it, like, oh, we have to get off this island because there's something, you know, off about this island. And, you know, plot twist. They're actually in, you know, the King Kong Island, little Skull Island, I guess. Yeah. You know, because everything's tropical and there's like faunas, there's like, you know, giant, um, giant flycatchers and stuff, and you're just like, oh, it's a, it's a little weird of an island, and he's like, okay, well, it turns out it's Skull Island, or you know, it's King Kong's Island in that sense, and you know, they all, and I, I guess I will like say about the end how it all ends basically he i think dr frankenstein knew that this would happen once everyone like was going to turn on each other yeah so he did the noble thing and blew up the fucking island and saved his uh nephew that's like basically the the end of the movie but i mean i just read something interesting it said 
right here on IMDb, in order to keep the expenses down, the film's producers did not want to pay for royalty fees to use the names King Kong, the Frankenstein monster, the Bride of Frankenstein, Quasimodo, and the creature from the Black Lagoon. That's why okay. many of the characters, though recognizable, are called different names. So yeah. like King Kong is called It, the Frankenstein, mon- or Frankenstein monster is Fang, the Bride of Frankenstein is the monster's mate. Yeah. Quasimodo is called the Hunchback. And then Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, Invisible Man, and Count Dracula were already public domain. So they were able to use those for free, basically. Yeah, there you go. IPs, man. That freaking <laughs> explains a lot, dude. Yeah, that does. Because I was wondering, like, why why was it called, like, Frankenstein's May? You can't really say, like, oh, like, why couldn't it be, like, Bride? Yeah. You know? I was like, okay, I think, yeah, I think it might have been a property thing. So, yeah, you know. Definitely a property thing. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, do you want to talk about top two scenes? Yeah, top two scenes. Um, you want me to go first? Yep. Okay. My top scene is basically when this character, because there's this one character. Uh, what was his name? Don Julio? He's like one of the freaking... Um, uh, I think it was one of the servers or something. Yeah, the one, the moon guy. Yeah. He has like a moon head looking guy. Yeah, he's like Pacey. And then he has like yeah. a, he has like a little Mexican. Yetch. Is it Yetch? Yeah. Oh, I don't know why I thought that one. You know. It's Yetch. He has like, Yetch. A, he has like a bow tie. Yeah. Yeah. It does. Um, I, I, at first I thought it was Igor. I mean. Kind of like I, being like that. <laughs> yeah. I think it would got that sense of. Him being close to that, um, yeah, I fucking like that character. That I don't know what it is. He's, he's like, he's so fucking funny. It's just like his way, the way he just talks is just like, God. Ooh, he falls he falls he like, they sent me to the moon. <laughs> sent me to the moon. Yeah. Because he gets flipped by King Kong. Um, right before he was about to touch Francesco, and he's like, oh, your kisses make me feel like I'm going to the moon. <laughs> I can't do the accent well, but... That's just stupid. Um, he's funny, yeah. though. He's a good one. It's fucking funny, because when he meets Francesco, he was just like, she's kind of disgusted by him. He's like, ah, oh, get away from me, you creep. Yeah. He's like, you call me a creep? So I'm going to creep? And he creeps away, himself away. Oh, my God. God, I have that clip. That's stupid, but yeah, you have the clip. Did that's not working. I'll I'll put it in there. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean that that shit was hilarious. Yeah, uh, yeah, I really like that part because he just establishes that character and every. I, right after He's that, I, right after that, I was like, oh my god. <laughs> But I love it, every interaction after that scene because, you know, he's, uh, he's, I would say not he's not a klutz, but he's pretty much a little dork, you know. Yeah. And it's funny the situation he gets to, especially when the interaction with uh, the Italian chef. Oh, yeah, that's a good he, one. Like, he basically like, get out of my kitchen. And he throws the fucking knife like um all around his body into like, you know, it created like a, a tear in the wall, and then he basically falls through the <laughs> wall. <laughs> That's so stupid. 
That's good. That's common. That's Whoa. like some. That's like some yeah. slapstick. Slapstick shit. Yeah, exactly. So you know, it's those moments that I just find. Oh, sorry, that was like one of like two scenes. Yeah. I guess. I guess those are my top two. I don't know. <laughs> that was a good scene. Uh, yeah. I want to say that my favorite scene is. Oh man, the very beginning when all of them start coming from like using different modes of transportation to get over to Frankenstein's castle. So they all receive the invitation, right? Mm. So it's like you see them all like preparing to leave and like go over there. So like you see like the creature is like in the water and he ends up like going in the water and swimming his way over there, you know. Uh, Dracula and the, the Invisible Man, they end up taking like a ship to get over there along with like I think Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde was on there and the werewolf was on there. So it's like this whole scene happens on the boat with all of them, you know, like before of them even getting to the island. So it's just pretty interesting how all these characters interact with each other. Some of them know each other already, you know, yeah. um, and are interacting with each other before they even get there. So it's pretty cool to see like some of the people that know each other, like the characters that know each other and why they know each other and how they kind of joke around with each other. And just, I mean, they were able to do fog in that scene, which is really challenging to do stop motion animation wise. But yeah, that yeah. Shit was really cool. Um, so yeah, definitely the the main intro part. That's where they played the theme song, and everybody's getting the letter of just like you know, Doctor Frankenstein inviting them to the castle. That's just awesome. And then I gotta say, my second favorite scene is the dining room scene where they start dancing it's like they they have this song called do the mummy so it's like do the mummy do the yeah. mummy like kind of like wooly bully style kind of a little bit but yeah it's in that territory yeah. but it's like a bunch of skeletons singing the song and it's like a skeleton rock band just like wailing out and then oh. like havoc ensues at the dinner party and yet his head gets thrown in like the punch bowl or some shit like that but like I don't know what happens. It ends up being like a freaking fight that goes down and they're all like fighting around and, you know, like they're all like using their abilities and stuff kind of to, to like defeat each other. Well, just like, I don't know. They just like a rough housing, you know? Yeah. They really get into it physically. It's, it's cool. Yeah. I thought that, I thought that was dope. You know, that's one of my favorite scenes for sure. Yeah. That band, that band was fucking funny. I thought it was the ones at first, but you know, Kind of look like with the with the haircuts, right? I think that's. I think that might have been the joke. You know, it's like all of them were all fucking skinny. And they're basically bones. Yeah. Skinny. Well, they're all long ass hair. Long ass hair. But I like like after the fight, he just like one of them gets mad. He's like, oh, I thought I was supposed to. I forgot what he said, but between the lines, he says like, I thought I was supposed to get paid or some shit, and he just like walks off all angry and stuff. You know, it was. <laughs> Really bad gig for him. Bullshit. (laughs) Yeah, I know along those lines, but yeah, it's funny. Yeah, that shit was definitely cool, man. I I just like how they that song, how that song came on, and then they started dancing. And then one thing I ended up learning after watching that little documentary thing was, um, I guess they actually were looking at a famous dancer um, when they were animating the storyboard and got dances from this famous dancer and try to do like scenes of them, like basically a storyboard of him dancing. And it really didn't translate well because um, when these Japanese people got 
you know, all the storyboard, they, they couldn't see exactly how the person was dancing. So they kind of riffed it. They kind of did their own thing on how they wanted to dance, how they how they wanted to dance in that scene. So it's pretty cool, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely the one of my favorite scenes right there. And then that also leads into the scene where Francesca, like the plot unfolds when she's talking to Dracula and stuff like that, and they're trying to figure out, you know, like oh they're gonna give you know um, the nephew all of the all of the stuff they're gonna give him like he's gonna pass him on all his experiments and all that shit so yeah. they're kind of like francesca and dracula are already trying to like plot to like kill him i think right yeah they're plotting to kill this fool so yeah basically and yeah <laughs> yeah it's funny it gets imp- it gets pretty intense in some parts but i mean obviously it's like it's a, it's cartoony you know so it's not like drastic you know yeah exactly it's meant for laughs and stuff um Oh fuck! I didn't, we didn't even mention that, but the when they started dancing, everyone started showing their moves. Even um, Hunchback, yeah. who basically I I started cracking up. I was like, "Damn, that's just so funny!" Because just the jerky movement is what fucking mm-hmm. sells it, you know? It's like he's gonna get down. He's like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like jerky. Yeah. So it really sells it, like. Using that madness of using that the stop motion uh, animation uh, to just make it even more comical than it is, you know. Yeah. But yeah, kudos to that. That shit was pretty cool. I mean, that shit was. I mean, it's just cool to see you know monsters and scary stuff in these stop motion animation things because it's like it gives these real textures that people are used to, but puts them in a sense that it's like. It's not like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer where it's all fluffy and everything's nice and shiny and, you know, it's like more of like dark and like stone cold and like, you know, chains and you get metal, you know, textures and you get wooden textures and you get like the fur from the monsters and, you know, it's it's really cool. Yeah, you go in the opposite direction of what Rudolph is, really. But I, sorry, go ahead. Uh, no, I was gonna say I really think that's why you know Halloween movies are really good and accepted in the stop motion animation format because the textures really sell, you know, sell it. I don't know. Yeah. No, you're right about that. It's also just the jerkiness of like that movement kind of makes things a little unhingy, just a little bit. Or, but the fluidity is just you know it's unique. So. Yeah. I- that's why we have like um, Nightmare Before Christmas because you know you can make weird shit out of that, make a model that's pretty weird and uncanny. Yeah, that the movement will be will actually match, you know, the design of it. You know, like you, it it would look exactly if it, if it moved. It right. Just like, you know. <laughs> Are we transitioning now? I think. Yeah. That's the transition. Transition. There. All right, one last thing about Mad Monster Party. If you haven't seen it, go check it out. It's on Amazon Prime. That's where I got it. It was only like five bucks or something like that. But to rent it, it's only three bucks. And I think it's on YouTube too for free. So you check that out. Yeah. You know, definitely check, check that out. out if you haven't seen it. Show your niece and nephew. That's it's awesome. All right, right moving forward, going into Nightmare. one of my favorites. One of everyone's favorites. Everyone's favorites at this point. Night Before Christmas. Yeah. I remember before Christmas. Came out in 93. 
not directed by Tim Byrne. A lot of people have the misconception that it's directed by Tim Byrne because Tim Byrne literally puts his name on that shit. It says, Tim Burton's A Nightmare Before Christmas. But that's the thing. It was directed by Henry Selleck, who uh, we'll talk about later, but he made another movie. Uh, a couple, actually a couple stop motion movies. I think that's what he's known for, really. And, you know, after, like, after watching this movie and then watching another movie from him, I could see what's his and I could see what's like um, uh, Tim Burton's like vision of this because I'll be like again misconception I really think it's both his movie and Tim Burton's movie mm-hmm. really because you get to see a lot of like um, little traits here and there of uh, of like his movies and then also like Tim Burton's style because all the designs they're all they're all like by Tim Burton it all comes from his head, you know. If you if you were to look at like early designs, because Tim Burton was actually an animator for Disney, that's how he started off, and a lot of his illustrations were very much like you know characters from like Nightmare Before Christmas, you know, stripes and you know dysmorphic bodies and you know just weird looking characters. That it's it's a unique animation, you know, and you really do see it in, like in this movie, and it shines. And again, this is a movie that you don't even know, like, what, like, if no one were to know, like, what year it came out, like, you wouldn't know, like, what year it actually came out. It doesn't date, it doesn't date, like, 1993. It dates, like, oh, I thought it got made, like, in the 2000s or, like, you know, maybe the 80s, but it doesn't look that old. Yeah, 80s, definitely, I think. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't look that old. It doesn't even, like, it doesn't. It's not dated. Is what I'm trying to say out of well, it. Well, I think. I mean, think about you know when it was re-released. I think for the special edition, they extended the frame, right? So it became wide. They were able to do widescreen with it. Yeah. So I, I wonder, you know, how exactly that what they shot it with, because they were able to expand it. They were able to do widescreen with it. Yeah, you know, so, I mean, obviously you see a lot more in the frame than than you would have in the, in the eighties, you know. Yeah. Um, even in the nineties too, when they re released it, you know, it was full screen basically in the nineties, and then I think early two thousands when they started switching over to widescreen, they re released it. And now we could see it in widescreen, but I mean, that's that's what's cool about it. They thought about that shit beforehand before even doing this, like this movie i think took 10 years to fully develop and release yeah so they spent a lot of fucking time creating sets creating all these little heads of you know every single valve for each of these different you know characters and they wanted to make them look perfect you know so they put a lot of time and effort into one character you know they did a bunch of different heads for one character i think jack had over like fuck like i want to say like 300 different different heads yeah along with a lot of characters that were there something crazy like that it was like a lot of freaking heads that they that they ended up using with them but i mean just it's so 
iconic. All these different characters stand apart from a lot of the movies that you see in normal, you know, kid kid movies. You know, a lot of yeah. these character designers, I feel, design something that may be appealing to an audience. Well, I think Tim Burton kind of threw that shit out the window and was like, let's make him creepy. Let's make everyone like creepy. Let's make them all like look weird and out of place, you know? So you really do see that in, in him, in his designs for this. I mean, for what it was worth, but I mean, yeah, there's a lot to talk about. There's a lot to unpack in this kind of movie because it is also a Christmas movie. Let's not forget. Mm -hmm. So I think, just the basic plot line and story idea for this was just something that has never been done before. They never have done anything like that. So I, I really feel that's why it's so unique and stands apart from a lot of the other stop motion animation movies to this day. You know, um, it uses something we're all familiar with two things that we're both familiar with the holidays and then kind of crosses them in some weird way that, you know, you just kind of got to scratch your head about it and be like, that was actually really cool. You know, it's like, uh-huh. you, you don't, you don't, I don't think anybody walks away from this movie or after watching this movie is like, what the fuck was that? Like, I'm, I'm mad about watching that. I think it's more appreciation for the fact that it was a successful movie. There are some parts where it's like, there's some plot holes for me in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, it's the fun of it. It's the joy ride of this movie. You know, you really get into it and you see, you know, obviously Jack Skellington, he's the main dude throwing these big Halloween events. He's the one in charge of making Halloween the greatest possible thing. He's the pumpkin king. And he's a pump. they just finished Halloween. He's looking for a new thrill. He's bored and he wants to do something different. Gets all depressed, wanders through the forest finds holiday trees what the fuck is that about um you know what i'm saying Um, yeah and then it like falls into christmas and i mean just to think about all this and to imagine these ideas is just fucking in a world of its own who knows what the fuck tim burton was on when he when he was like thinking about all this shit but he ended up going into christmas town finds a new holiday and wants to use that new holiday as Halloween. Kinda. Like he wants to be, he wants to take a hand in it now because he likes it yeah. so much. In one way or another, he wants to conquer what is like, um, uh, Christmas. I just thought about this, but it's sort of like a little bit of colonialism in that sense. I don't know where I'm going with this. Right. No, just, I get it. Yeah. It's like colonialism. You know, he's seen something, a different culture, and he wants to, like, make it his own. You know, it's just like this guy just shows up out of nowhere and just wants to do everything in which he thinks with his good intentions to do so. But he fails at the end of the day. It's cultural appropriation. No, it's not not his culture. You know, cultural appropriation. Yeah, it's appropriation. Oh I my think. god, you hit the fucking nail on the head, my dude. Sorry, it's because I've been dealing with like that topic, you know. Uh, something's happened in my 
No, but uh, I mean you're right, dude. It is a, it is the appropriation of one holiday that has nothing to do with the other holiday and trying to yeah. make it your own holiday. Obviously, it doesn't go well. We've learned this. Because yeah, exactly. what happens in Night Before Christmas, they end up fucking like making bat toys and like dead animals into like stuff for children. And, yeah, you know, uh, that's letting well. We're going to go back. <laughs> but yeah. Um, was I gonna say? I I think the best thing I I like about this movie is that it's it's two things that are completely opposite of each other, and for some reason it works. But in the in the story context, it doesn't work. You know, so it's just like sort of funny to. Uh, be kind of aware or you know have that layer of like context in that where there's two things that are supposed to like be belong with it, of each other they're just they're just like a little weird but also very interesting at the same time you know yeah and i think uh what i've been hearing is that tim Burton has like this ability to put things that are dark and things that are like very light like very um very cheerful or you know very preppy and, and stuff mix them together mix them together and of course this is the perfect blend of this of his trait or you know his trait in that oh, sense definitely. so i like, yeah I, I think that's what really attracts me or you know like cuz fuck thanks you know fuck thanksgiving bro but Talk about cultural appropriation. Exactly. <laughs> Going with that. It's like, fuck that because it's appropriation. But at the same time, I think they're picking a little bit of Thanksgiving and just implementing this into <laughs> the well, story. Saying, you know what they're going to do is in part two of Night Before Christmas is going to be like, you know, <laughs> going to Thanksgiving world and be like, what? This is what happened? <laughs> it's like, huh? It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a story of self-discovery. He was all like, he's he's gonna like realize that he was like very wrong about that, and he was an imperialist, and you know he's all like, well, he this is a song about it, and this is wrong, and then he's gonna be the voice of reason in the progressive era, you know. He's like, he gave it a shot. <laughs> he gave it a shot, but at the end of the day, there's a message. No, Court he goes, well, what the heck? He says, like, well, what the heck? I gave it all. I got something. something. Actually, he says, hell. Did you realize? Oh, he's like, well, what the hell? I give it what I got. Something like that. I give it what I got. And Danny Elfman on that. Jesus, man. Oh, my God. The music is amazing. To this day, like, that's how legendary it is. He performs it every year. Now that they do that sing-along musical thing with Night Before Christmas. Dude, now he gets to literally re-sing the songs that he created like years and years ago because people love it so much. Like it's so embedded yeah. in the Halloween culture now. He performs every Halloween like and makes money off the songs he wrote twenty yeah. years ago. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, and he's like the constant collaborator of Tim Burns. So he's just like, you know, that's his peak right there for Danny Elfman. Um, I actually listened to Danny Elfman like in an interview. Uh huh. I fucking love that guy. This guy curses like a fucking sailor. And it's funny because, like, um, in this industry, 
this is what I heard from my uh, professor. He also a bit cusser. Um, he says like people who cuss a lot for some reason are just so trustworthy. Don't you guys agree? I was like, and I'm thinking about like Danny Elfman. I was like, it's true. He's been pretty loyal to Tim Burton, you know, and he makes really good music, bro. He's like one of the best out yeah. there. Or the composer. I mean, he's right next to John Williams, you know, when, when yeah. it comes to movies. You know, besides like this, yeah, besides like this score, he's known for like the Simpsons score. He's known yeah. for in Pee Wee's Big Adventures. Yeah, and just most, yeah, most of his Boingo, movies. Like, Boingo, Boingo. Boingo, Boingo. <laughs> um, also, freaking, what was the recent one that he did? Fuck, I forgot. Oh, yeah, he did the, um, I think his latest one was Doctor Strange. He oh, did the really? music. Doctor Strange, um, Madness of whatever. This the Multiverse of Madness. Multiverse of Goddamn Madness. Also, Acronym Mom. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and it was about Mom. Was about... So we kind of went over the plot. We went over about some of the production, like how, how they went about oh, the production. It did the theme for Spider-Man. The 2001. The one with Tobey Maguire. Oh, really? Yeah. Actually, that makes sense. He's a lot of trumpets. <laughs> kind of that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah very iconic. You know, yeah. you know that. Shit. But yeah, he's uh, I didn't learn that he was that he was actually the singing voice for this movie until yeah, like he's, he's uh, he sings Jack. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I, I'm just saying I didn't learn about that until like a few years ago. So I just learned about this like recently. It wasn't like I always knew. But, you know, I it was very much a surprise because I didn't know he could sing. I was just like, Dude, I thought he, he sings with Oingo Boingo. I never saw that. <laughs> yeah, he's in that band. He tried to... he. So he, the thing with Danny Elfman, he tried to do music in Hollywood before doing music scores. Somebody had invited him to do a music score and he killed it. And he was like, oh, I guess I'm better at this. So then he started doing music scores. So like yeah. that's how he got into the movie business. But before that, he was trying to do like a band. He was trying to like just do music like in a band. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, he's performed at Coachella, you know? He yeah, a lot of cool. different songs. Yeah, you know that song. That's Danny Elfman, bro. Yeah, you know that song. I know that song, yeah. Yeah, that's that's Danny Elfman. Crazy, right? I thought that was a Tom Petty song. <laughs> I think he wrote it or I don't know. Something like that. I know. No 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 Tom Petty, I'm sorry. Um Tom Petty. Tom Petty. I'm gonna go grab Tom. another beer, I'll be right back. Keep it going. Sure. Tell them they could find us at. You could find us here. <laughs> yeah, we're live. We're here. Well, we got plenty of beer. Freaking, we're talking about the 99th episode, 99th episode on stop motion animation. Scary stop motion animation because for some reason, 
it blends in well. And ooh, what was I gonna say? This is we're close to our like one hundredth episode. And you know, it's been an honor to make it this far. And you know, we started off like as Golden Craft run and we turned into Golden Craft cast. But you know, the ironic thing about this as we're streaming on YouTube, we actually started from YouTube. And I feel like we're getting a hang of this, you know? It, it it's all turning around. It's all turning around. We came from YouTube and now we came back to YouTube to do this live. And I think for the last one we might do that on YouTube. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I think for, I mean 100, not the last one, but you know, like I'm leading up to 100. Getting there. But yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we've been pulling up episodes on YouTube because, you know, since it's a video format, you might as well do it. They did Bring different designs on each can. Well, it's like two different ones, I guess. Pretty cool. Totally. Um, what are your what are your some some of your favorite characters in that in Night Before Christmas? Oh, um, definitely. I think my favorite character might be Sally, because she's like Frank, she's like a Frankenstein type of monster, and just the way that she just like you know she gets pulled apart and stuff, and she's using her body to her advantage at one point, and I feel like that's that's pretty quirky and just like very unique in that sense. And also, she's a uh, she's she's utilized well in this movie, you know, because she's like the voice of reason. Yeah, and you know that's something that I pretty much respect because you know essentially she is she's just like person. Uh, undead thing that you know she has her own little arc she's trying to escape like that one doctor and and you know she has like this uh, understanding of Jack that um, when he's vulnerable uh, she's the only one that actually sees through that you know everyone else is just like hailing him and just like oh praising him for what he does yeah you're the man and stuff but at the end of the day like how does he feel and she kind of glimpses of that and it's like sees through all that she relates to that in a sense you know Mm. you you get to see that she's also realizing that um i don't think this is right bringing this christmas thing you know and she also has like the premonition going on for her so it kind of makes her feel like a little mystical in essence but you know as I watch him more, I appreciate, um, I appreciate that character. I Who, was by reading the way, something. Go ahead. By the way, it's voiced by, um, uh, God damn it. <laughs> I already forgot. Uh, Catherine O'Hara. Yes. Catherine O'Hara. Beautiful Beetlejuice. voice. Beetlejuice. Fucking Home Alone. The woman could do Come it, on. all right? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> right? Come on. It's it's crazy because you can't imagine that same person doing the voice for Sally, right? Yeah. Like the that high anxiety, you know, like the way she is in in that movie compared to her voicing Sally is like two different worlds. You know what I'm saying? She's very surreal. 
yeah. very well put together, I guess. <laughs> um, there was a, I was going to say, there was this fan theory thing that I read that was saying that there was a hint of like why Sally's dead. And, you know, you could kind of tell like all her limbs are ripped apart, but why are they ripped apart and stuff like that? Yeah. Well, remember when she jumps off yeah. the side of the building and she like puts herself back together? They're saying mm-hmm. like, remember when she's like in midair, she's smiling. Yeah. Like meaning that she's kind of used to that. Like that's how she might have ended up, you know. She killed. Yeah. She, yeah. yeah she killed herself. Yeah. yeah. And maybe that's why she's so um, empathetic to, you know, to Jack. And like, yeah. Kinda like, oh, it's a total emo thing. Yeah, yeah. I get it. <laughs> yeah. Another yeah, I feel. Thing, like... Another thing. Go ahead. No, no, no. Hi. And I was go gonna ahead. say another thing that I thought was curious was, a lot of people don't notice this, but I noticed this last time I watched the end of the movie. Yeah. When they sing the song together, and they're like, "Oh, it's this is how it's meant to be," or so they say something like that, right? And they're like together, right? And then at that moment, Zero flies off, like into the moon. Like he flies away and you see like a little like twinkle or something like that. Like he left Jack. He left him alone. So it's almost like Zero in his past life or whatever wasn't a companion or, you know, wasn't, wasn't able to fulfill I if I feel like Zero's goal there was to help Jack fulfill and get another partner. It was like his familiar in that sense. Um, yeah. I'm also making a connection, like because the main thing about uh, Beetlejuice, another Tim Burton thing, is um they basically fulfilled themselves as being like the parents that they needed to be at the end of the movie. So it's like sort of like, uh, oh yeah, like they're, you know, they they they're getting in their wings, you know, and eventually they get like the happy ending and stuff. But yeah, actually, now that I'm getting, because um, I think it was like a couple times that I think I was watching this movie like two years ago, and I came to the realization that, um, I, this is my own theory. I'm just gonna point that out. But it is about zero, and I feel that um, they're going against. They're going for the like the Rudolph myth, and it feels like, what if he was like, um, damn, how would I word this? A husky? No, <laughs> no, he wasn't a. No, I'm not saying. That. What if like the Rudolph the Reno's reindeer? It's true origin is because people saw saw Zero um, taking his place at the front and thinking like, oh, like I saw Santa Claus, and then they had someone like, um, uh, they had a red light that was lighting its way, and people would interpret that like, oh, that's actually a reindeer, but the true story is that it's actually Zero who was a fucking ghost. Lighting the way, huh. and they made a story of Rudolph the Reno's reindeer. I don't know if that's making a complete sense, but I just I'm like thinking about like myth and just like 
Well, you know, I'll tell you one thing. You're nuts. Yeah, I know. <laughs> no, but it was cool how they did that cross-reference thing. And maybe that was like a tip of the hat, you know, yeah. to Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Well, you know? I, I, I did see, like, the little, you know, respect for that, the little nod. He's just like, yeah. oh, we're going to uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed but I don't know. I, I think I'm a little far-fetched on that because I did think of the last time I the the moment I realized that I was, I was under the influence so I was just like kind of overthinking about that one. Yeah. But I, I just feel like I don't know. Maybe instead of like them having to, they probably made up like that story of Rudolph because they actually saw Zero in there. I don't know. I just think I just I'm just thinking about so you're trying to say like Rudolph is the origin story for like yeah it, that's basically so what you're I'm saying, saying like people had seen Zero and Jack deliver all the presents and in like the world seeing Jack deliver the presents where Zero was ahead of the thing they made up a story to explain why there was a nose that was lit up in the front of yeah. the sleigh okay basically. I think that's you're nuts. <laughs> no but all jokes aside for real though i mean whatever to each is you can make up whatever you want that's the whole point you know that's a, that's what tim burton did he made up his own shit for every single one i mean i want to say some of the characters that i liked that i was kind of like what the fuck like for one was a really gooey guy it wait like who's a, your huh? my favorite your... character I think I like I like Locke because I dressed up as him like for Halloween when I was little. The wait, devil wait. character, the one with the sharp face yeah, yeah. and the sharp teeth. I was like, I know, I know you're referring to the three, the little three fuckers, but I know, I don't know which one it was. It's the devil, huh? Yeah. Wait, what are their names? Locke, Shock, and Barrel. So, and that in that same That's, fan yeah. theory that I read online. Yeah. It was saying that there was a reason that they were dead and they were in that world. Like it had to do with their names. Yeah. You know? So That's I thought great. that was kind of interesting. And like if you look at Shock's hair, like it looked like she got shocked. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Barrel? I don't know. Maybe you got locked like in a barrel or something. I feel like you're going into that Ed, Ed and Eddie territory because there's also like a theory about that. I mean, it's the threes. Yeah. It's the threes. It's like the two ones that are about it, the smart ones, and then the one that's kind of off, you know, which is I feel like the one that's kind of off is like Beryl. Like he's just like kind of weird and clumsy and kind of, you know, he ends up with the cauldron on his head, for God's sakes. You know, (laughs) how do you do that? You know, but um I mean, obviously that he's a good character. I like Oogie Boogie. Oogie Boogie is, I, just, I mean, the uh, way they animate him and stuff like that, he definitely took a lot more time than the rest of yeah, the monsters. It, like, it definitely looks like it did take a lot of time with thread and everything. And I mean, just the, like his layer alone is super sick. Like all black light, you know, like they were able to photograph that. And make yeah. it look like it was actually black light. So, I mean, in the scene where Jack's fighting him in the lair and you just see, like, all these gambling machines and all these different symbols of, like, vice, you know, it's, like, something you don't normally see in 
a movie like a kid's movie, you know? I feel like Halloween... And they, and they also use guns in there, too, by the yeah. way. I feel like Halloween Town is just, like, the surface of, like, okay, this is definitely dark, but Boogie Boogie's, like, underworld... Um, His place is, like, the underworld of that underworld. Yeah. yeah. So it's, like... So the fact that they're drawing, like... um gambling esque type of like uh um that whole freaking lifestyle and that whole style just seems like it's more it's going into like that sinful and very like um lustful territory of like right. okay well that's spooky but this is fucking hell right here this and, is hell and it's crazy because out of all of Halloween town you know like Oogie Boogie's lair is the most it's the most bright, it's the most colorful yeah. area versus the rest of Halloween Town that is more, you know, grayish, more dark, more loomy, um, you know, overcast kind of lighting versus when you're in Oogie Boogie's Lair, it's like a freaking casino, you know, mm-hmm. which I thought was, I mean, just that contrast alone really, uh, I want to say like divides the character of Oogie Boogie from the rest because that's where he lives. Like that's what he's about versus everybody up on the surface. Like kind of like yeah. how you explain, you know? Yeah. It, it, in some sense, he's like the black sheep compared yeah. to everyone else. He's like a whole completely different level and like stuff. People there are scared of him. Yeah. He's you know? the boogeyman's boogeyman in that sense. Everyone yeah. else a boogeyman but this guy's like a boogeyman's boogeyman so it's like but that's the other thing um that this movie does so well is they they tease him you know you're aware of his presence right and you know everyone's taught there's little hints here and there that they talk about him yeah and you see him you're seeing him through um santa claus's perspective you know? Yeah, that's true. So it's like, oh, like, that was such a good intro into that character. I was just like, oh, damn, that's crazy. The POV oh. of his eyes opening, right? Yeah. Yeah, you're right, dude. That's, I never thought about that. But yeah, that's definitely, that's how he first gets introduced. Before that, it's only shadows. Um, You see that... him at the very beginning of the movie. When in it's the... like, in the moon, right? You yeah. see the shadow in the moon, and then after that, you don't see him again. They just refer to him, and I don't know. That, that's that's what I feel like kind of builds the anxiety or builds that character up. Like you said, it, they they those them teasing him adds a lot more to the final scene. You know? Yeah, definitely. Because you hear his voice, you hear his laugh. You know when he gets stuffed down the pipe. You know, you you see Santa Claus get stuffed down the pipe. He's like, just right there. And then he goes, he goes in, you know. And then uh, you kind of hear him start laughing and chuckling and stuff like that. He's like, well, 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 what have we here? We got you know? this be close. Yeah. You're joking. You're joking. I can't believe my eyes. That's what I'm saying. It's so quotable. Like the music <laughs> is, is, you know, it's like a book. Yeah, and and for my like my godson has the little baby book of Night Before Christmas, and really? I read it to him. He loves that movie. 
he like loves that movie, you know? Yeah. This is definitely a movie that you could introduce to any generation automatically. I don't know. Attracted to it. Yeah. yeah. As his charm, I was like, fuck, that's crazy. It's, Dude, I, it, it's visually appealing and kids don't know why, but it's because it's real stuff that's being photographed, you know? Yeah. Like it makes so much of a difference. Um, I mean, in the detail, the level of detail of, I mean, from, from the woods, the scene of the woods, I mean, fuck, dude, like, you could see the carving on the hill, you know what I'm saying, and, like, the spray painted, like, they made it look like mounds, almost, in different areas, you could see the trees, and you could see the fucking, you could see, like, the bark in the trees, like, dude, like, there's no, even in cartoons, I mean, in cartoons, they don't have the level of detail that these have, and I feel that that's what really sets this apart, it makes it more real because of that. You know, yeah, it's. I feel it's because it's like. It's artisanal. Like they're making the models of everything that you see in that movie, and stuff. So it's not like it's something drawn. Well, first it's drawn to see the design, and then that becomes the model. The blueprint for the model of like you know every set design that's in there. So it's like you're fucking around with, a real life thing that they created, but as something just based on like a design that we're following so i mean i feel like it's like an extra step just to like for that type of animation to do uh, except from like having to you know move every little piece per frame just to like make something alive you know but not not only that but i i'm thinking about the water like the drips when jack is coming out of the water like in the well and you see all the goo kind of like drip off of him, and then he dries out. Like, dude, what <laughs> the? F- how do they keep track of that? Like, that's fucking insane, dude. Like, yeah, this is things you wouldn't think. Yeah, and it looks so fluid. Like that. That I think that's why, honestly, Nightmare for Christmas Two kind of takes the cake with a lot of it because so much of the animation is so fluid. Like, mm-hmm. Mad Monster Party is very. Like you said, jerky, kind of like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer was kind of jerky. Like they kind of, you know, it's it, it's not completely there. It doesn't look like a 3D animation. Like Night Before Christmas straight up looks like a 3D animation in some parts. You know? Yeah, this is a fluidity. Yeah, it's very unique. Everything. Um, and, yeah, and the textures just hit the mark too. You know, they use a lot of different textures in the movie. You know? Yeah. Talking, um, are we doing top two soon? Yeah, yeah. I was just looking at the cast. I was looking for the the guy that played Oogie Boogie, Ken Page. Yeah. Um, I'm just looking at his filmography, which is like pretty impressive. Uh, he was in Cats. He was in Polly Coming Home. He was in All Dogs Go to Heaven. Voice actor. So this guy's pretty incredible. I like it. But, I mean, everyone just, like, brings their talent because, honestly, I wasn't expecting, like, you know, Catherine O'Hara, which I learned later on, like, that she was actually the voice for Sally. Also, the singing voice. I was just like, oh, shit, like, that's very surprising in that sense. You know? Um, Enough of my amazement. I think we should go to the top two. Yeah, definitely. 
Um, yeah. For top two, I gotta say, well, one of my favorite scenes, um, obviously, it's the what's this scene when he goes into Christmas Town and he sees all the different things and is just amazed about everything. How he sticks the light bulbs in his eyes and you just see like the hollow space. I mean, they're playing with depth. They're playing with a lot of different things, little different aspects that you don't really normally think about when you're doing a stop motion animation movie. Like they literally use the spaces within the characters themselves to light and make something out of, you know? So I, I thought that was really dope. Also, the texture on the snow, it's like almost sparkly, you know? So it's like really interesting to see how the lights reflect off that over all of the area. All the different lights kind of change colors over the whole scene. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely lighting was uh, up on our game too as well because you definitely see a lot of uh, interesting, interesting colors in that. Um. I don't think they. I don't think I ever noticed that in other the other stop motion movies with the lighting. Yeah. <laughs> like what you think? Kind of how like the lighting you have right now on your whole setup. Red. There you go. He's got it. He's making a point about the lighting. <laughs> what about you? What's one of your uh, top twos? Uh, for my first one, I've. I would have to say, like, after, mm, I guess I would say, yeah, I would say, like, after this is Halloween, the whole bit, you know, they introduce every character in the town. And then, you know, Jack Skellington goes into the cemetery and just, like, you know, he's by himself. You realize he's kind of tired of, like, the same old thing here and there. And, you know, like, that's... That's going into like, um, uh, okay, because I like this movie because it perfectly reflects like the hero's journey. And I think this is the first movie that I kind of use as like a model to realize that, oh, recognize like the, you know, the A stages or the 10 or whatever the fuck stages of the hero's journey. And it perfectly fit well on everything that I, pointed out as like uh, um, as that model because this is definitely going into like the introducing like introducing the character but also the call for action which you know after that is literally like the call for action um, and just him having to like you know kind of be depressed he's going into like a <laughs> I was going to say midlife crisis, but he's dead. So it's like afterlife, after midlife crisis, which it sounds it's like. A ho- it's a holiday crisis. Mid after, Yeah. It's, and it's after like, it, you know, after you're doing something for so many years, you get praised for it. Oh, everyone's kissing your ass. It's like. Yeah. I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to be that guy. You know, I want to do something different. Yeah. I feel like. Um. I'm trying to be like pretty careful about this, but here after, we go. like, all right, hear me out. So you know how you're like, there's this big event that you have after, 
that you're looking forward to. And then after it happens, you just kind of have like this slump going forward because you're just like, it's over, you know? And I feel like he eventually, wherever times he's done it, there was a peak where he was looking forward to it, looking forward to it. But then he's just like, oh. But I don't think everyone else like realizes that. Yeah. You know, at that point. So he's pretty much a guy that was ahead of his time, but also he's just like um, far passing everyone's like expectations because it's just like, oh, like, I'm kind of over this. People who just like, you know, they like what they're used to or, you know, they like the repetition of everything or being like creatures of habits, which I feel like most of them are. Yeah. Um, you have Jack who's just like pretty much like the herd, like the it guy or, you know, I, I guess like the alpha who eventually like, oh, like I always want to, he wants to be the best, but he also wants to like reinvent himself. In one like way. The showman. Yeah. So he's like learning for like a reinvention of himself. And here you go. And here we see he's like, he has like that. Again, after midlife crisis, yeah, <laughs> you know, going through, and you know, him having to walk over there is just kind of ironic. I mean, it's, uh, if you think about it, it's pretty powerful how he's able to get like the whole town to start like jump in on this new idea and like yeah. go a hundred percent on it. Like that yeah, just I... goes to show how much influence he has over the whole town. Yeah, yeah, I feel like he's like. Um. Again, despite uh, you know there is a mayor, but despite that, like Jack, really, he's the guy that runs the city in a sense, and the mayor even knows it too. Because there's this line where he says, "Like, I can't make like very serious decisions. I'm just an elect, a uh, 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 council elective, or some shit like that." And that right there is like an adult, like joke that just gets past like kids um uh heads yeah. but he's but in some sense he's actually like saying a commentary about you know like about politics which is fucking true and he's aware of it he's like oh i'm just a city elective or, or official or some shit i can't make serious decisions i can't so, make decisions by myself <laughs> I'm an elected so, official. Yeah, I'm an elected official. <laughs> I can't make decisions. And it's true. Like, it's, like, he always turns to Jack. And the moment that he... That Jack is not home, he starts to fucking panic. He, yeah. He, to, he, he We get to see his true face. Yeah. Now, I think that was the joke of, and design of, like, the mayor. Yeah. Uh, that's literally another... his face changes, you know. Yeah, like it literally like fucking turns. Um, which is like a toy. Which yeah. I say I would have to say he's like my, my second favorite character in that movie. Okay. Yeah. But we were talking about top scenes, so sorry. Um Yeah, no. Yeah, top I, scenes. Yeah, I already said my uh, my first, yeah. I mean Oogie Boogie's definitely one of my top scenes, but I mean I said well, I said the Christmas scene because of the lighting, but I mean also the Oogie Boogie scene because of the lighting. You know what's one of my favorite scenes, actually? The experiments. 
when he starts doing all the experiments for Christmas and he like goes and asks the doctor, Hey, can I borrow some tools? Because I'm doing some experiments. Yeah. Oh, curiosity killed the cat, don't you know? And he goes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> don't fucking tell me, motherfucker. I know, bro. Just give me the stuff. <laughs> yeah, I like how he uses the hypothesis uh, theory, the scientific theory. And you yeah. get like all the steps, which, I mean, when you were growing up and then you watch that movie, yeah. you kind of all context like, oh, that's right. funny. That's you know? actually a good way to present the scientific theory. Yeah, they should they should have like a screenshot of that him having to figure out that shit to like yeah, bring his hypothesis. It. Yeah, and then, like, like the scientific method. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah. There you go. It's pretty much just scientific method. Yeah, I think. But yeah, that's that's a, like, that's a good idea. It's a good idea. I like it because it was just going into science, of course. It is like a Frankenstein, Dr. Frankenstein type of guy. So, of course, he would have to, like, be all scientific. It, it's just that. wild how, like, he's driven crazy by simple things that, like, no one would ever run experiments on. Like, you know what I'm saying? But the effects in those scenes, I think, were really cool. Like, um, for example, the use of the magnifying glass when he's tearing out, like, the little, you know... uh when he's dissecting the teddy bear you know what i'm saying it's and like, he's like bringing it out and like bringing out all the fluff like that was a good use of a magnifying glass in that scene to like go and show you know that he's actually trying to get detailed and get scientific with it and like do appropriate things to figure out what's going on here i mean uh another one is like when he crushes up the 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 decoration for the tree and he puts it into the vial and it starts glowing and he's like yes interesting reaction but what does it mean it's like what <laughs> like what the fuck why would anyone question crystals like that exactly just... but it's like you feel for when he says that you feel for him it's like what does that mean <laughs> again like... you're going with the first question you asked and then further in that question what's this yeah. What's this, literally? <laughs> literally. That's trippy. Yeah, he's just going he's further and that. deeper into yeah, the still whole asking. of Christmas, you know? Yeah. And, and it's funny. You know what's another good scene, too? This might be honorable mention now. But when he explains the holiday to the town, and they all start responding and trying to make it like, is it filled with a rat? Oh, maybe it's the thing that I found in the lake. You know what I'm saying? It's like everyone's trying to make sense of this, you know, something that's good from this land that's like morbid. You know, so they're all trying to make it in, like, make sense of it in their morbid reality. You know? Yeah, and everyone's, again, I think everyone just has the same good intention as Jack, but. They just can't grasp, like, they can't grasp the idea of fucking Christmas at all. <laughs> Which I feel like it's funny. Again, it's like a mismatch of having to them understand. And we're here, we understand both holidays. Yeah. You see, like, the personification of Halloween, understanding what the hell Christmas is, is just, like, so fucking funny. You know? 
I mean, it's, 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 it's interesting the, because the human experience is all of these holidays. Yeah, it's the unaware. <laughs> it's the unawareness that just makes that really fucking sells it on yeah. this. Yeah, you know, you're right. Like the unawareness from one world to the other, it's like the cross yeah. of yeah, I, you know two different worlds, definitely. Yeah, and I think that also stays true with comedy because you see, like, you know, very comedic, not comedic, but just like some characters that you just find so funny. And what makes it so funny is that their lack of self awareness, you know, or not being aware of like them being them. And everyone looking into them and seeing like, like he can't help it but be themselves and stuff, you know. Yeah, it's just they're from they're from a different world. They're trying to understand another one, and they're trying to make the best sense out of it that they can. Yeah, you know, it's like look at this hat that I made, and it's a dead bat. It's funny and it's cute in that weird way. And it's gross. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's, that's what's cool about it. It's like they went there with that. They like, you know, like he like basically gets a bat, smashes it in, and he makes it into a hat. And it's like, oh, it's fun. You know, it's like, what the fuck? Like if you're watching this from the outside, it's like, do I really want my kids watching this? But then you see the animation and the characters and how everything looks, and it's like, yeah, it's okay. It's like it's a kid's movie. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Like, it's but a... obviously, if this was a real life, you know, transition of some guys beating a dead bat <laughs> and making a hat out of it, it's not a good. It's not a good sight, you know. And and that's another thing that I was gonna say is that that stop motion animation, even though these really creepy ideas go through and they seep in stop motion animation makes them family friendly because it's animation they can get away with a lot more doing morbid shit like that yeah definitely uh you definitely see it in marvel um they're actually becoming a little bit more violent but only it's because like they're not killing human beings or you know ripping human beings apart but it's actually like aliens. aliens yeah you know so they could get away with like blue purple black blood as opposed to red and it's just like yeah just i mean Thor, love and thunder man like that beginning scene when he's like murking all of them you know that <laughs> shit was tight you know and and then when he tries to scare the kids and then he rips that little alien apart and he's just like that you like like those types of stories and then when you actually see it it's just like you know traumatizing a bunch of kids yeah you know and it's just like oh that's nothing like that doesn't exist like you could rip that shit apart and they could get away with it but they're trying to say they're kind of hard going hard or you know going there but it's like not really you're kind of cheating but yeah this movie definitely gets away with a like a lot and it's just like it's okay because it's like not even real you know yeah. you might get a little traumatized but overall you're i mean not... let's talk about traumatization the last scene and i think we're gonna end night for christmas there's a lot to unpack in night for christmas but like the last have... scene in night for christmas when he goes and brings all the presents and the kids yeah. open the presents <laughs> you know like that in itself shows that 
they're trying to traumatize children. They're trying, yeah. You know, like that was, they know literally, what they're doing. Yeah. It's literally like a scene of traumatizing children. And then kids literally, watch, literally. kids watching those kids is just like, oh shit. Like, what if I, what if that's me? Right. You know? It's like put yourself in that that fat white yeah. cat shoe with the with the glasses, and he's yeah. getting chased around by that freaking thing. Like fuck that! And snake eating your Christmas tree and shit. <laughs> it's like what's going? And the going? snake made a made a debut in Beetlejuice. Yeah, it's they're similar. Yeah, they're similar. Sand creatures, something like that. They use yeah. the same kind of creatures and kind of like. Use them for different things, which is smart. Yeah, but, it is. Hey, Again, that's, yeah, that's Tim Burns' design, if anything. But yeah. Welp. I mean, talking about that, let's talk about another dope movie he made. Well, I don't know. Did he make this one? No. Tim Burns didn't make this, but you know who did make this? But he Henry did Stout. something on it, right? No, no, no. You're not listening. Tim Burns didn't, didn't make this movie, but Henry Selick directed this movie so that's why there's similarities mm-hmm. you know um yeah this is where the next movie we're talking about is Coraline which came out in 2009 by none other than Lankin yep none other than freaking Lakin is it Lakin Lakin Studios yeah, this and, was Lakin Studios is actually in Portland, and that's where this image is from right here. This is the actual set. Yeah, that's the, that's the actual set behind me that they used for Coraline, it which is at Lakin Studios Art Museum in Portland. Yeah, exactly, and I believe I think this is their first movie that they made. I could be freaking wrong, but I'm gonna look it up. But either way, um. I also learned this as well. This is actually an adaptation of a graphic novel by Neil Gaiman. Neil Gaiman is actually really, he's a really good, like, um, uh, he has some good graphic novels out there. Um, he's known for The Sandman, which uh, now we're getting an adaptation of that, of that series on Netflix. But he's known for, like, a lot of, like, dark type of things. Um, I think he was part of the Watchmen graphic novel. I could be wrong. I think it was a cl- collaboration with him. Or no, I think I'm crossing over like graphic Lake, novel. Lakin Studios did um, Box Trolls. They Paranorm- did Paranorman, and they also did Kubo. And miss- yeah, they did, and also Missing Link. Oh, the new one, yeah. I, dude, you know what? I started watching that, but I didn't finish it. Really? Yeah, I was I was watching a bootleg version of it. Hate to say it, but I was yeah. like, man, I don't I don't know how I feel about this movie. I don't I, know if I want to pay to see this movie. Like, I don't know. Yeah. And I fell asleep. So obviously, we can do. <laughs> I I like this because this studio is actually known for like the stop motion. But they're actually pushing that stop motion with adding like actual vision, like um, yeah, like visual effects, like 
uh, special effects because they also use like green screen with like their model sets and stuff. So it's interesting to them implementing like CGI with stop motion. So, and it's like seamless, seamlessly. And I think this Coraline is like no exception because you kind of do see like some effects that are very ambitious and just very like, oh, like you would think it's like, oh, like how, like it's all stop motion, but some of it's not even stop motion in that sense. And it's like, again, it's they're doing a good job having to like making it seem that it is like a stop motion type of thing going on. And again, it's looks pretty freaking clean. Uh, just as clean as like, or even more cleaner than before, um, Nightmare Before Christmas and anything and stuff. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Maybe. <laughs> um, I mean, obviously the camera technology is way different. Yeah. You know, um, they most likely have a digital setup for, I mean, behind me is the garden scene from Coraline and they most likely had a digital set for all the lights. They were able to control a lot more. I mean, LEDs now exist in this, in this time period. Um, I don't know if they existed during night for Christmas, right? Cause that was in the nineties. Yeah, that was in the nineties. So they probably used like, um, fluorescent lights and just like well i mean i'm thinking about like the lighting within the pumpkins like stuff like that like yeah those were probably like actually little fucking lights you know they were like studio lights or they created like little studio lights exactly but like for Coraline, i mean that's why i feel it's a lot the the lighting in Coraline (laughs) is a lot more fantastic fantastical like yeah a lot more fantasy aspect to it because of the context of it you know but i mean i feel like the lighting in Coraline really defined what it is because i mean just look behind me it's like a plethora of different lights you have all these different lights kind of um contrasting each other you got this purple light over here which is like the greenhouse and then you got over here you know um real bright orange lights and when you watch that scene of her in the garden in in that other world it's like totally you know it's like lights up your whole room when you watch it i i was lucky enough to see Coraline in 3d when it came out oh really yeah it's crazy i remember one of the things that tripped me out the most was in the introduction there's like looks like a butterfly like they're butterflies in the beginning, like moths. <laughs> and um, in the beginning, when you're watching it, the moths are at different depths when you're watching it in 3D. So when they fly away, you kind of see like this whole like, I don't know, it's weird. It's like, no, the, I get the it. The screen tears apart, but you could see the shadows beneath each of them. So it really gives it like, I don't know. It looks fucking awesome. I, I just no, remember no. watching Coraline in 3D and just thinking like, wow. that's I should that's never a, watch this movie unless it's in 3D. Yeah, that's another thing. Stop motion looks really well when you're watching it in 3D. Yep. The death is what really makes it because it's real. And then it's, it's like, look, it's like you're there. Like yeah. you 
you could like literally feel like you could touch it and stuff. Because I remember I didn't watch this in 3D, but I watched the trailer for Frankenweenie, another stop motion movie. And when I saw the preview in it in 3D, I noticed like, oh fuck, like it looks like I could literally fucking My touch fucking it. God. <laughs> what are you doing? Close the door. What are you Close ghost? the door. All right, then leave it open. Don't do that. You're creeping me out. Come show your face. Watch it, cop. No? Oh. <laughs> Just messing. Just messing. That okay. really caught me off guard right now. I was like, Jesus <laughs> Christ. Oh my god. Does she like fuck around with you every Halloween? Uh, no, but I'm about to. Just watch. <laughs> Do so. It's your due diligence. The due scared. diligence for Coraline. Always scare. Always scare your mate. Are we going to do uh, top two scenes? Are we going to do characters? What are we going to do? Um, I guess we could get into characters if anything. I mean, why born? You know? Why are you born? Why are you born? Clever. Why born? Like, why are you born? Yeah. It's really playing on existence. He's just like, oh, that's funny. That's very I young. I always wanted to be why born for Halloween. Really? Yeah. Roxy never found me the right mask for him, though. <laughs> I think that character was such a well, guessing. She's Hold like, on real quick. Hold on. What did she say? Oh, no. Here we go. Oh, no. Real life Coraline. I guess. She's going to follow the rats in the hole. Yeah. By the way, those rats are from Australia. New Zealand and whatever. Yeah. Why, I saw... Why did they choose those? I don't know. I, I was thinking like, oh, wait. They must be Australians. But then it's like, oh, wait, their studio is based on Seattle. So it's like, I don't know. Or maybe there are Australians or New Zealanders in there. I don't know. Last time I saw those rats were in Dune. And then I saw them in this movie and I was like, oh, they must be Australians. But I don't know. I The one thing about this movie is that it's... It's definitely like Alice in Wonderland-esque, but with like a really dark twist on it. She, I guess in some ways it's like, not it's not her tripping balls, but it's just her having to learn to be more grateful about like her living situation. Because the way they, uh, the way that I saw it like last night is like, okay, real life kind of sucks because you tend to see more of the con than the pros because you're seeing like the um her parents who you know they had to move and then they have like boring jobs and jobs are like basically sucking their fucking souls out of them and you know they're not really like very fun to be around and you kind of see like that con like oh like i got this boring life this parents but I guess the pro and that whole thing is is that they're doing everything that they can to provide for her and to have like that stable life. 
But then, like, once you get into, like, the other world, the other mother and the other father, you're seeing, like, all the best perks of them being the best parents as a pro in the forefront. But the background is, well, if you decide to be here, we're going to have to fucking take your fucking eyes out. Which is, like, you know, it's, it's almost perfect until it's really not. You know what I mean? There's always, like, there's the catch for that. That's the catch. That's the whole catch about it. You know? Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, so is. Go ahead. That's the whole. I mean, and this one it goes into like kind of the tale of. I mean, not along the lines of, well, I guess along the lines of like Night Before Christmas, like, it's a tale that's to be told, to get something out of it. Don't. You know, take over message. something. Don't mess with something that's not that. You know, it may be attractive, it may look good, but at the end of the day, there could be something wrong with it. There could be something there that it just doesn't mix with your vibe. You know, and that's what you see in Coraline. You see her go down this tunnel and basically see a whole world that is contradictory to what she's living in, and you know, she thinks it's the best kind of world, but at the end of the day, it's all a facade. It's all a trap to make her feel like, you know, she's in control when she's really not, you know? Yeah, exactly. Because throughout the whole way, she really wasn't in control, but then, like, you know, when it came to, like, having her parents at stake, being at stake, she took control of the situation and know what was that. What was that risk? But you kind of later learn that it was all in a dissolution or an illusion in that sense. And her parents weren't really freaking gone. I think it was just like part of her imagination, but it's also very psychological from that takeaway. But I think that was the whole point. But hey, the whole moral message is just like, don't take things for granted you know and you know like real life actually is pretty fucking shitty but at the end of the day I appreciate what you got you know right even if but, it's kind of shitty yeah exactly you know cause you but, I mean both of I mean let's I want to kind of dissect both of the parents because you have this kind of weird they're both creatives you know but they're not like full of life like how she imagined they would be yeah in her upside down world or whatever you know there's there's an interest because their interest is in guarding so they're both actually like um uh, what do you call it they're both gardening expertise, per se, but they never actually done any gardening, gardening themselves, you know. But in the other world, they're actually like so perfect that they're actually doing the gardening, you know. So they're fulfilling their dream of having to talk, do not just write about their passion, but also do the passion itself, crafting it. Yeah. You know, and here they are in like the normal world, and they just like 
not fulfilling what the their initial passion was and all they're doing is just writing which to me it feels a little confusing as to like how are they having to have a job about this when they're not actually doing the real thing it, you know what like, and, that, and that's the whole thing about it it's like it's the misunderstanding of what it is to have knowledge and to share it you have to be able to make a document about it right and making yeah. a document is not like actually doing it, you know, yeah. even though they have the knowledge of how to do it and what to do and blah, 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 blah. But they're really just trying to make a profit off of their knowledge of doing the work, you know, which is, I think it's fucking interesting. And then like, let's fast forward, go to the end of the movie and then everyone's in the garden helping them and kind of like doing their thing. They're bringing out lemonade and, you know, doing this whole thing. Right. You mm -hmm. know, so it's like finally at the end, what she imagined, what the what the main, you know, kind of spice was about that life was a garden and like this beautiful, big, beautiful thing. It's actually starting to come into fruition. Yeah. With help from others. You know, so I mean, it, it's like that's when the other characters kind of play their role and show, you know, that they have a lot to do with the story and telling it and making it what it is, you know? Yeah, pretty much. It's, uh, it really sets in like, um, expectation, like, ex, uh, expectations versus what. Reality is in yeah. that sense you know so there is that perfect expectation from what parents should be which she gets but the only thing is like it's sort of like oh you want all these perfect things but at the end of the day you kind of need to make a deal with the devil which is essentially like what the other mother is you know yeah, yeah. at that point they actually you know she risks her life just to like um, save not only save her parents, but also, you know, making a deal that she would actually stay in that world. Not you know, only but that, but if you pay attention to the story, the person that owns the pink apartments that she's in, or whatever, whatever they're called, what are the what are the apartments that she lives in called? Not like apartments. Like something it's like a complex or something like that. It's like. Um, a, yeah, it's like a place. Yeah, because she has neighbors, right? Right. So the neighbor, the uh, the Russian circus guy. Yeah. So like that whole place is like it has a name for it, and that's why Whiteborn's there is because his his grandma is the landowner of it. And right. And if, if you notice, um, one of the little girls that's a ghost child is is a black girl with braids, but it's but Whiteborn's grandma's sister. Because remember, she says, oh, yeah, she doesn't like people going over there because back in the day, her sister went over there and she never came back or something like that. Yeah. And he so just kind of like slips it in the dialogue, like doesn't really make a big deal about it. Yeah. So it's also like history there where like there was missing children and it turned out like, oh, it was the other mother. But I feel like the other mother, whatever she is, is through Coraline's eyes, she's looking at her mom. But 
and uh, all those ghosts were actually in Coraline's place. So I'm thinking like this thing's disguising herself as like you know the other parent, and they're not, and when they were encountered that other mother, they're actually encountering that version of their mother. Right. That's- well, that's what that's what you got to think about is remember in the beginning of the movie, you see the other mother creating the doll for Coraline, right? Yeah, Coraline's doll. So she knows her next victim. She's doing her research. She's trying to find out what she likes, what her dislikes are mainly, what she yeah. doesn't like, what she wish she could change. She wants to reach to to that dream level. She wants to give her her ultimate reality. You know? Yeah. And it, yeah, and it was Wilburn who actually brought that doll. And that also puts into question, like, how long was that doll, like, in that house? Because, you know, he did find it in his house or... I think that's what he said. I don't remember. Yeah, but... no, it ended up being like, oh, um, this was, yeah, this was like, it was built, it was like in there already. What, some, oh, fuck, I want to yeah. watch it again. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah, no, definitely, because like, that was the introduction of the movie, is her building this, you know, other doll, and you see her like, fingers are all like, sewing needles and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like the creepiness is already there before she becomes the other mother trying to fit the mold of what Coraline wants and what Coraline desires in her parents, you know? Yeah. It, uh, we talked about this movie, The Thing, that it basically mimics everything. So whatever family goes into the house, I feel like they're kind of mimicking them. And basically using that as a tool to, like, you know, bring in their next victim, in that sense. Yeah, I mean, that could be. I mean, who knows who the tenants were before, you know, of wherever they were living at and why they left and stuff like that. Yeah, I think all the ghosts that she conquered or, you know, she kind of. Because that was the thing is she was moving in. She, they were moving in at the beginning of the movie. They had just literally gotten there. So she was just figuring out everything. And and that's kind of like the one of the tropes with it. I feel like a lot of scary movies or like not scary movies, but like Halloween movies. It's like the new kid. It's like the new kid doesn't know what's up. The new kid doesn't know like what's going on around here. It doesn't know like how we do things, you know? Yeah, it's hocus it, pocus. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like. Yeah, definitely, like, a lot of those movies is about misfits. Right. It's come and They come into town, and, of course, there's more misfits to, you know, that they encounter and stuff. Like, with um, uh, Wilburn, like, he's a misfit himself. He's fucking weird as hell. But, yeah. you know, that person, yeah, Wyburn, sorry. Um, I don't know why I keep saying Wilburn. I was like, eh. Um, he, because that's the good. I think that's that's the whole yeah. joke about it. It's Willborn's usually the real name, but then they go, "Oh, Willborn. Why don't we change this to Wyborn?" <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, I definitely get the joke on that. But yeah, this is definitely bringing a lot of like you know that. Uh, 
that story about like misfits and then you know encountering encountering something that's like very uh strange and at the end of the day they kind of conquered that world because i don't think anyone that was ordinary would actually like have the same reaction to that world that they uh uh, they encounter and stuff because Coraline is definitely like someone that's like very quirky and you know she uh what do you call it what's that phrase uh she definitely like beats her own uh drum in that sense you know and I think it was just like that unique character that actually, you know, was able to conquer it all. Um, I don't want to even say like going into that chosen one type of like uh, folklore, but a lot of stories are about that. Like, oh, like this unordinary person or this person that's like, you know, very quirky for doing his own thing, conquer this one specific thing. At the end of the day. I mean, but what that's the crazy part is like everybody that's in there and all our neighbors are that quirky. Yeah, they it all have a quirkiness about them. Yeah, it matches their quirkiness. Yeah. Yeah. I I would say like this um yeah, the circus performer neighbor. Uh I, I would like yeah, he's I would say he's like my favorite character. Yeah. He's, he's so cool. weird. But it's pretty cool. And then when he goes on the other version of that world, he's actually a pretty successful like circus performer. But if you think about it in reality, it's just this fucking loser that goes up to the rooftop having to think like he's still the hot shit. Yeah. But in reality, like, you know, he just lost it all some one way or another, which again, it um it suggests there's like a whole fucking background there like a whole background arc or right. story started, which i started talking I, to mice somehow yeah exactly <laughs> and it's like the two sisters you know yeah i can't the, get over that the like the way they made their old boobs you know what i'm saying like there's another thing about like the stop motion it that plays that, a big part in the movie yeah it the jiggliness, not also like on the tits, but also like the belly of the Russian circus dancer. I noticed like, oh, his belly vibrates or, you know, it jiggles. It's like, oh, that's yeah. so weird, you know? But I think that's like a visual effect that they added on and stuff. And then again, I noticed it, you know, with like the two sisters, you know, they're very busty. And of course, their titties just jiggle. And it's like, oh, that's kind of natural. And like, that's also a visual effect that comes further it's just the play of the body or the flesh right you know and i mean like that to be able to nail that fluidity down and though that's fucking difficult to do showing some appreciation there yeah obviously it doesn't turn me on or anything but it's to <laughs> to be able to see that kind of stuff and also in a kid's movie you know what i'm saying like they joke around with it they they make it a comedic point to talk yeah. about that or like make that an obstacle in the story, you know? Um, even later on, like all their little dogs and stuff like that, the quirkiness within them, I think it, I kind of like the sisters more because it's kind of like, they're the mystical ones. They're the ones who kind of, Oh shit. They're the ones who kind of have like the answers of like, what's, you know, to be foretold and stuff like that. And they want to read their tea leaves 
and she has a little hat and she's like all about theater you know it's like it's like very i don't know it's it's like witchy you know yeah i know what you mean it's just like it's just something about them really they're just like they're those type of people you know like you would say like if um well, I mean, it is a whole town, but in that town, like they'll be known as like you know the misfits in that sense, or yeah, you know, because of their quirkiness and their personality. It's just like we don't really get them, but you know they're just there. That's why, honestly, like that's why I feel like it's really interesting when they go when she goes into the world and she confronts her neighbors because that whole mouse scene in the circus and then the whole scene of like them in the theater and stuff like that. It's like in her imagination, almost what they are, what they really are, you know? And I mean, that's what makes the story for me is just those flashbacks and going into that world and seeing that whole, the difference between what they're, what she's used to and, you know, the opposite of that i don't know i don't know i don't know where i'm getting at with this but no i know where you're getting at you because you know you're seeing the reality but also when she goes through that world she's actually looking at the best versions of right yeah yeah so it's like again alice in wonderland vibes it's just uh looking through the uh looking glass in that sense so it's like a better reflection of those people in that sense, if that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah. You know, so. And I mean, they they end up helping her in the end, right? Yeah. You know, I just remember seeing the, I feel like the, the well, no, I don't feel, I've seen the circus mouse scene in 3D. It's fucking awesome, dude. Really? Yeah, because it's just like a bunch of little mice, and all those mice are pulled up from the. They're like in the foreground, and everything else is in the background. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I'm starting to remember that. I just watched this like last night. Uh huh. The I think the fluidity of all the rats were a little more different compared to the rest of the movie, and I started to think like, I think that was 2D animation. I don't know why I thought that, but I'm pretty sure I'm like tripping on that. Well, they could have multiplied one animation. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? To like make it look like multiple mice, which would have been the smart thing to do because then you have to do less animation per thing. But they could have done the actual work to make it out like that, which is fucking amazing. But I mean, do you want to do, did we talk about top two already on this? Yeah. Yeah, let's go into top two. Yeah, let's do top two. So, man, one of them is obviously the guarded scene for me. Just like seeing, you know, all the different lighting, all the different things that they did. Um, You could tell some of the shots are just videotaped. Like it's clearly just videotaping the garden and superimposing some, some different characters onto, you know, the layer of where they were at and stuff like that. And, Man, I mean, just from the pumpkin to, you know, the big machine that the tractor that was like the, um, the, what, what is it? What was it? 
the man the thing with the big eyes the manta ray is it a manta ray no is it what is it the thing with the claws that they were using to like do the garden uh that was only like yeah i know what you're talking about it was really quick maybe you should show image i think that will like be a better help <laughs> But yeah, they were playing on that. Uh, what did I think Manta Ray? What is it called? Damn it. I don't know. I just watched this movie and I'm like... <laughs> but either way... Uh, yeah, that's was great. By the way, are you sitting on Roxy's chair? No, this is my chair. It's just her chair is behind. Over there. It looks like you're sitting on Roxy's I'll chair. I'll scoot over here, Mar. <laughs> I forget what. The, oh man, I can't think of the freaking name of that bug. But it's like the one with the scissors. But like you see, he's like mechanically controlling it. Oh, the mantis. Yeah, the mantis. There we go, mantis. I was like, like what? <laughs> yeah. Well, duh. What other bug does that? And it has scissors for arms, kind of. But yeah, the mantis thing where he jumps up on it and he starts controlling it and shit. I thought that was fucking cool. And then, uh, like I said, my second scene would definitely have to be that mouse scene in the circus. Because mm-hmm. seeing that shit in 3D, bro. Like all the, remember when all the rats tower up and they make like yeah. like a crate. Like, dude, that shit looked insane. 3D, bro. God, I'm like thinking about it because they were like in the foreground, and then you have like that for that perspective. Yeah, when, like looking down or yeah, yeah. Dude, they like, messed with perspective. That scene specifically messes with perspective. Yeah, you know, and That's they what... did it really well, and it was like shot for 3D. You know. Yeah, definitely. That's one of my favorite things for sure. What about um, you? What's your top two? My first one, I have to say, is probably the funniest scene <laughs> because, again, visuals, visual cues is what really fucking sold it. Um, so it's, they're at the dinner table, and uh, I think they're having breakfast, and then Coraline's basically describing like the other world to her parents, and she's describing it as a dream. She's saying like, "Oh, she's believing that it's a dream." Is all like, oh yeah, Dad. I imagine there was a character like you with your, you know, bun, so for his eyes, and you had like orange sandals, and he's like, no, I actually have blue sandals. And then he said something about like, oh, in your world, like, you don't think they have like an ultimate for like, uh, sitting down because the dad sits down all the time. He's like, because I have a rash in my. And then the mom stops him before he says ass. Yeah. And it's like, hey. And then you have the mom in the background, like, you know, making a remark about that. And then he's like fucking gesturing like the hand on his ass. Yeah. He's like, and the only thing that comes out is the sound like it's like uh... <laughs> <laughs> No, it's just his hands like cringing, like because he really does have a rash on his ass. But the only way to gesture at it is just like him having to like move his fingers. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like the funniest visual because it's just the mom having like, dude, are you being disgusting again? He's like, 
<laughs> so it's just like uh I don't know, it's just like uh like it could it could have been like a different scene of him just like, oh what if it was a masturbating scene and he's just like sometimes I just wanna what are you getting on with? And yeah, it's just like one of those things about that that's just like it's interesting. Um another scene I would say is because I noticed this in both the roles with the mom and the dad, the mom always seems to be like the most dominant one, and then the dad is like the most cool and chill out one. And in both roles, uh, both those roles are actually the same because the guy, um, the dad is more laid back and he wants to have fun with like you know, Coraline, be fucking quirky and funny and shit. In the other world, he doesn't even talk at all. But he's the only one that actually wants to help Coraline in that sense. Right. And you see, like, oh, well, obviously, like, in both worlds, like, you know, the mom is more dominant because she's, you know, having her, the highbrow. But in the other mother world, like, she's, you know, she wants to conquer. Um, She's in control of her own world. And obviously, she's gonna be like, be the dominant one that wants Coraline as her will, and do as yeah she says and whatnot, or you know, basically kill her. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> but like if you notice, like if when I think it was like the, at the end part, the you see that, um. At the last part, he's, she's trying to save her parents. And then she's going throughout the house. And then she sees her other father. But she's not even scared of the other father. Because the other father's actually trying to help her. Like, oh, like, I'm trying to, like, get you to, you know. I think she hints that hint, hints where her parents are at. And she notices it's like, she's, like, right there at the fucking, um, on top of the fireplace. And they're in like the crystal ball or whatever and stuff. I think I could misremember that, but I remember that dad was like actually trying to help her and mm-hmm. and see that okay, well he's actually a good guy on both those roles and stuff. So you know, it's just something that I noticed in this that even on whatever world they're in, there's always like a constant, and the constant is like oh, with the mom's dominant and the that is more like laid back and shit. So it's like, oh, okay. The dynamic is still the same, mm-hmm. but the circumstances are different. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I would say that's like my second scene. For sure, man. Well, I mean, dude, we, we covered a lot today, man. We did. For, for like three hours worth. It's like an hour movie, basically. Both of them are like an hour and a half. Yeah. All those movies are an hour and a half. We covered it in a little over two hours. Let's, just, let's hours. just talk about now. I mean, final thoughts on, I mean, Coraline and everything. Yeah. I, uh, I thought ahead. it was cool to see a black kid in a stop motion animation movie. Why Born's a black kid? You know, his grandma's a black lady. You know, we didn't see those before. We didn't see, I didn't see that in Paranorman. 
I didn't see that before in, you know, uh, other movies. Any stop motion animation movies, I haven't seen a black kid. So it was refreshing to see, you know, a person of color in the mix in Coraline. I thought yeah. that was cool. Um, you know, yeah. Uh, just adding on that note, um, I did notice he did have like a different color tone. But you kind of don't think about it because you're just saying like, oh, it's just another kid in the neighborhood. But then we, when he brings his grandma by the end of, of the um, movie, I was like, oh, he's he's a mix. Um, he's a person of color that's pretty. I think it's safe to say he's pretty mixed. You know? Yeah, I mean, but that's what I'm saying is like, when before have you seen that, you know, that much, you know, in. In Paranorman, I don't think there was any. No, I didn't. I don't remember seeing any black kids in Paranorman. I didn't. But the only thing I think about black is like going back to Nightmare Before Christmas, who Ken Page played Oogie Boogie. He's yeah. actually black. Yeah, yeah. No, he and does. He does. He does the singing too, and he does yeah, like the whole. Very, yeah, yeah, the singing is very much like um, uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, Cajun. An occasion style. Yeah. Yes. So, you know, you're getting like that type of style in that movie. So it's implementing race. Mm-hmm. But you don't really see the his skin tone. But in this movie, uh, yeah, I get what you're saying. There's a definitely representation going on right there. And you didn't expect it, but it's just like, oh, like, you know, you don't say whatever. But after realizing that, you know, there is that representation and then you're thinking about it. It's like, oh, that's never really happened before. So it's like, oh, that uh, having to notice it now is just like, okay, we appreciate. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like I said, like, especially for those movies, it's like, you just like pale little white kids or like pale little kids, you know, in general. And for that one, it was like the ghost children and then also Whiteborn. It's like this whole kind of, I mean, there's a backstory there. There's a backstory within history yeah. there. You know what I'm saying? Oh, and, no, you definitely and, and I think that's, that's something that's important from Coraline because the story doesn't start with her. The story continues with her, you know? Right. And it's so always, it's- I feel like it's like, the other mother always chooses kids that are more like unique, like a little quirky, like a little, you know, different than the rest of the children, you know? Yeah, definitely. I, uh, definitely going into that serial killer vibe. It's like, I mean, if you get the chance to see this movie in 3d or find it in 3d, definitely watch it. This shit is trippy in 3d. Yeah. It's, It's, it's made for 3d for sure. Yeah, definitely. It's. I don't know how you all watch it in 3D because it's getting a little bit more harder. Yeah. Or to actually, you know, watch it in 3D. But yeah, definitely do the effort. <laughs> yeah, do your homework and all that. Um, all right. So I got myself another beer. What? This is called Office for me. <laughs> this, uh, you know, bringing the. Best once for last. <laughs> you should have brought that one when we were talking about Mad Monster Party, man. 
I'm gonna I, do some honorable mentions. I'm gonna wrap it up, dude. I had two of the pumpkins, so I was just like finishing one and then the other one for the other movie. And then yeah. like, I'm a slow consumer, so I do that. Sure. Are. Yeah, I had that. Just in general, you just you what? Know. What? <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> you know that isn't true. I did make a little got a lot of good points at this point, so. Anyways, we'll sip it, crack it open, and let's see what it tastes like. Let's see what it tastes like. What the hell was that? That was a babysitter. You gotta take a chug. It's all right. But does it taste like the other one? No, it doesn't taste like pumpkin is spice. It, is it a hazy or what? Yeah, I think it is a hazy. Kinda this is. Like it. No, actually, this is a West Coast Pale Ale. Pale Ale. Used with, brew with, well, you can't really see it, but. West Coast. Aussie hops. It literally says Aussie hops. And it's not as strong for some reason. It's like 5%. Huh. This is a 5%er. It's crazy. Who would have known? For a West Coast, that's rare. For a West Coast? 7.0 and up. Yeah. Well, this is a pale ale, so pale ales are like... Oh, it's a pale? Yeah, that makes sense then. Yeah. So it's a little bit lower than like... eh. That's cool. Well, I just want to talk about some honorable mention movies real quick before we completely shut this down. I just want to talk about a couple of the movies we didn't mention, which we could have talked about more. Obviously, we talked about Paranorman. Paranorman is freaking awesome. Yeah. They they have a lot of the gooey, jiggly stuff and stop motion animation going on. Um, that's pretty dope. Another one is Box Trolls, same company, and then also you know yeah. Kubo. Kubo was fucking awesome, bro. I love that movie. I still haven't watched that movie. That is one of my favorite awesome. movies. I think honestly, yeah. it's really cool. It's like. An anime but stop motion animation. It's really fucking tight. And it's like based in Japanese like lore and it tells the story in that context. You know what I'm saying? Uh Box Trolls is a little weird. Little little (laughs) weird. Uh that's what I'll say about that. It's just uh I don't know. It's it's like a someone that's like trying to be someone else it's a scooby-doo <laughs> whodunit almost you know and then you got um missing link missing link is another one but i i wouldn't really categorize that one as a halloween movie i've seen it not really a halloween movie like paranorman and um, the other ones uh i guess the other honorable mention i would say is Jack and the Giant Peach. It's not Halloweenish or horror, but it did fucking scar me for a lot of shit. You show that to some kids, they'll say it's Halloween for sure. <laughs> this is Halloween for you, James. 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 Again, this Isn't is actually it a lovely day. Hello. Scarred me for life. This I just remember that arcade. Remember that machine that they played? It was like a rhino, and it was like it wasn't a machine. It was a fucking cloud. No, there was like a there was like 
inside of when she, he was with the ant. Now I'm going to watch that movie again. He was like with the ants and like there was like a machine and he was like playing them like almost like an arcade machine with like a rhino or something like that. I just thought that was the coolest thing when I was little. I was like, what the fuck? You have to rewatch that because yeah, I think. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll send you a picture of it. It's It was weird. It was weird, definitely. But I definitely just dark and gloomy and eerie movie yeah and it's like a um and it's like based on a children's book so by um raw doll yeah who tilda the witches which this shit is Charlie in the chocolate factory there you go it's pretty dark and weird and quirky and then when you have movie adaptations it's like it's a trauma fest for some fucking reason (laughs) it's just like Dude, even yeah. even Charlie, and Will, I mean Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, when they did that, he's like, dude, no one on set knew what was going on. Yeah, when they did that whole scene where like, and the fucking shit keep on rolling, and the and he's like in the, you know, when he's like on the river of chocolate, you know, yeah, none it's... of the actors knew he was gonna do that. Yeah, so like, it's traumatizing. They were looking at him in fear. That movie was traumatizing because like. Like in that movie, you know, every kid does something that gets them like, you know, out of the picture. But it also brought connotation that something happened to them and they died because they never come back into the movie after that. But I think that's the big difference between that version with Gene Wilder with Johnny Depp, because in the Johnny Depp version, they say, oh, all these kids are safe. Nothing happened to them, really. Yeah. You do notice that, you know? So it's like, yeah, there's trauma. And then also going through that, again, the Gene Wilder version, they go through that tunnel and it's like hella trippy and you're just like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> and it better keep on going. And the river's yeah. always flowing. Yeah. If you notice, if you watch, um, we, we talked about uh, Thor. Love and Thunder. Yeah. But if you watch Thor Ragnarok, when he goes into like um when he enters that planet or that world, the river he goes, sticks. He goes into that poor um little ride. And if you listen closely before he goes into the tunnel, you get to listen to the Willy Wonka theme song. Like and then oh, he goes really? Yeah. Oh shit! Yeah, rewatch that movie, and then before he goes into that tunnel, and you know they chop off his hair and everything, yeah. you could hear that chime right before he goes into that little tour. And oh, I was just like, oh, that's, "That's that's a nod on that." Yeah, but, definitely. But, but uh, also, when they walked into, uh, I guess we'll save that for the Willy Wonka, Willy Wonka episode, huh? Yeah. Oh, uh, going back into, uh, I did say this, but. Uh, Henry Selleck, who directed Nightmare Before Christmas, Coraline, and then also Jack and the Giant Peach. The accord, the diff, the similarities I found is when he, when Coraline enters the world, it's like a tunnel, right? So it's like that sense of death that he's going into that tunnel. So it's like you know, sort of. Uh, I'm not gonna say it. It's like a. It's like uh, he's dying. It's like the travel. He's traveling. 
Oh, no, it's the opposite. It's like going through a fucking vagina. <laughs> okay. Me... <laughs> you made me say it. I thought you were going to say it. But also, like, if you were to watch, like, Jack, uh, Jack and the Giant Peach, when he first goes into the peach, he's going into, like, a similar fucking tunnel. And that tunnel, like, um, sequence, that's when he actually, like, because it's, like, real-life action. So when you see, like, the silhouette of him, like, in real-life action, as he's traveling to the tunnel, he's also, like, transitioning over to, like, his stop-motion version of himself. You know, that's one thing that all these movies have in common. There's a scene of the characters traveling. Specifically... <laughs> it's in tunnels. Specifically, I mean, Night Before Christmas and Coraline. Coraline travels through that tunnel, that weird purple tunnel. They're and entering a different world exactly. that they're not. And yeah. Exactly. And that's like when they take the boat and Mad Monster Party and take whatever means of transportation, they're transporting themselves to a different world. Coraline, transporting herself to a different world. Jack, transporting himself to a different world. Yeah, I think that's what mo- most movies are. But for they stop go- animation, it means a lot more for some reason. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's true about most movies because they're going into a world that they're not familiar with. And at the end of it, they're the masters of those worlds. Yeah, Avatar. Make- Except for Jack. He was just like, ah, oh, fuck this. <laughs> <laughs> no, All he right, had- people and then you know he's all like ah, I'll give my life to a girl who's rich and obviously there's still fucking space in that fucking door <laughs> that was floating both of them could have floated there and fucking went away Yep. a couple of like you know whatever alright you gotta <laughs> sip on this let's make it quick cause I gotta get up alright damn damn chill yeah. out chill out bro um, it's only been three hours. It's actually not been three hours. It's not been three hours. It's That's two. Bad. You're an idiot. <laughs> All right, my sip on this. Um, okay, so I'm proud to present that I'm actually producing a short film uh, through my school. And I'm right behind this uh, uh, student filmmaker. And I like the story that he had. And as I'm like working with him, he's also like, he did a big change recently. And this, this is a story about like grief of having to like move out, having to come to a sentence and having to show that expression through art. And I, we definitely have something going on to make this in the works. Um, this is directed by Nick Stinson, and I'm producing it along with Marcus. Uh, shout out to both of them. Um, I'm definitely going to have them on the show at one point. And, and this is a story that I really, I think most of us could relate, but also it's like something that's like, you know, we want to bring out to the world and stuff. Through the challenges that we've been facing, we're definitely going to make this shit happen. Um, this short film is at, it's called Diamonds and Merry Golds. 
And again, it's written and directed by Nick Stinson. And we have an Indiegogo running. Uh, at this point, we last time I checked, it was $800. But our main goal is to make it to 7000 So if you guys could support, uh, that would be great. Because this is a project that we actually want to show, not just to like our film, um, to the film school, but also like around the world, put it through like different short film cir- uh, circuits. And, you know, it's, it, it's a film that is like very based on like culture and then where you're from. But it's also like a story about that's very humane. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm proud to actually be a part of this and it's going to turn out well. So all we need is like your support. Uh, contribute whatever amount you got. You know, we're doing it for the arts. This is a learning experience for all of us. And, you know, I really feel like this is going to be a really good product at the end of the day. So uh, I'll show the links on the episode details. And I hope you guys like, you know, come out and support and when it comes out uh i'm definitely gonna find a way to you know show it to you guys or you know having to uh express my whole thoughts on the process on that because yeah it's definitely a journey for all of us in the make sounds interesting i'm interested diamonds yeah sweet we'll see the development of that in future podcasts i hope there you go. Um, one of my things that I want to say, also along the lines of film, new Netflix series that I've been keeping up on, Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities. Um, I'm two episodes in. Pretty fucking dope. I've read some blogs on it, and everybody's saying, like, this is Guillermo del Toro's peak. Like this is this is everything that he's done is accumulated to be to be this series to do this series, and after seeing Guillermo del Toro's actual um, installation, it definitely feels like him. It feels like something dark, ominous, something of lore. Um, a lot of thought put into these scripts. He's kind of doing the Mandalorian thing where he's having different directors direct each episode, but they're all stories. I feel like he's written alongside, you know, X amount of people, but you could definitely tell his influence is scattered all over this man. Like a lot of high detail in costuming design visual effects it's all there man like it's fucking awesome and they only use the amount that they need for each episode they're not going overboard with the visual effects they're not going overboard with the costumes they're not going overboard with this or that it's like perfectly meant for that specific episode and that's it like there's a lot to be told and a lot to be said and I feel like with something like the cabinet of curiosities it's almost like creep show uh, yeah you know what I'm saying there it's different horror stories of different things that that have been going on in Guillermo de Toro's mind like the different objects in the cabinet specify a spe- 
specify a story and you get to see the story unfold and that's what you're watching in cabinet of curiosity so like they'll bring an object out and then be like well take this it's almost like twilight zone yeah yeah right? all, yeah so they kind of get an object and they'll be like well this is a story behind this object and then they go and like tell you the story it's fucking yeah. awesome it really is kind of like a twilight zone but more way fucking creepier yeah. way more gory way more visually um uh i don't want to i mean this is what i'll say don't watch this show while you eat okay <laughs> because there's a lot of like creepy gory kind of scenes that is just like oh i don't want to you know i don't want to watch this while i eat kind of like yeah i mean there's rats coming out of mouths there is limbs being chopped apart like it is very graphic like there is a lot of gory graphic details in it but some people like that shit so you know you know what so you shouldn't like eat while you're watching is the Jeffrey Dahmer show that on Netflix as well? That one too. That's ugh, that that's a, that's a whole other ball game. I tried to eat, I tried to watch that movie while I was like eating breakfast, and it's like I don't think this is a good idea. I'm gonna watch it at night. Yeah, you're gonna <laughs> end up eating somebody. Yeah, like this kind of tastes like human. <laughs> it tastes like but Well, another great show. I mean, show. Uh, I mean, those are mine. But uh, I mean, it's been great. I love talking about this stuff. Stop motion animation movies for me. Just bring back my childhood in general. You know, so it's it's really so, dope to be able to do an episode specifically talking about stop motion animation movies. I know around Christmas we wanted to do a stop motion animation, another stop motion animation episode. So hopefully around December we'll be able to do and go more into depth with Night Before Christmas, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, maybe the, even Elf. We'll see what happens, you know. But yeah. uh, the re- the the best is yet to come. Yeah, definitely nightmare. We need to explore that more next yeah. year. Yeah, man, definitely this year. Definitely not this year. It's gonna be next year. All next right, week. we'll hit the button, baby. You motherfucker! You know right. where you can find us at Golden Craftcast on IG on. Also, TikTok, you can find us on there. I haven't posted in a while, but we will, we will. And now YouTube, we're fucking on YouTube. We're live streaming on YouTube. We'll probably do the next one like this as well, streaming it live, right? Now that we figured out how to do it finally, we got the connection to do it, so, yeah. Tune in for our, our 100th episode and 100 more to come. 100 so- episodes. Hold on to your brick. You hold on to your your knickers. Yeah. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a tree. We don't know what it's gonna be. I, maybe it should be a free for all. Who knows? Yeah, it is definitely. All right, I'll see y'all. Tune in for the next one and see you later. Love these chickpeas. Stay golden, my people.